On this week's episode, we look at the 1961 season and we have a very different top four by the end of the season. Ken Boyd of South Melbourne finds himself in hot water after comments to reporters. The Tigers make history for all the wrong reasons in round 16. And St Kilda, Geelong and Footscray are all playing for a spot in the finals come round 18. All this and more coming up after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules football history podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We have no real qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past and lots and lots of books. Uh, it is Tim and Charlie's show today. It is. It's the Tim and Charlie, Charlie show again. Yeah. Kaz I love is, it when uh, this happens. As we said, Kaz is working on a house, so he's very busy at the moment and in and out and hard to nail down a time. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and we haven't had mods for a while either. So no, hopefully, you know, we look no, forward to getting them back. We're, just, but we're running on bare bones. We've got a we've got a long uh, injury list. Yeah, we do coming down a kick to kick at the moment. But you will hear their names. You'll hear their voices, and they'll they'll still contribute of in the usual ways. 1961, Charlie. 1961. Now you're going to be all right because because well, spoiler alert: the demons don't win it. Uh, well, and you got to get I mean, how strange, <laughs> right? For everyone involved. You've, no, I'm just aware of the fact that. I'm happy knowing that we're still good. We're still, you know, up there. I mean, you've so, just got, you've, I'm sure you've grown so accustomed to you guys just winning all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, are we talking about 2021 or in the, uh, yeah. Both. Yeah, God, it's a good time. Mm. I can deal with this losing in history when we're winning in real life <laughs> in the present. Fantastic. All right, well, hello listeners in India, Sweden, and I thought just a shout out to all our homegrown Aussie listeners yeah, out there. We don't give them enough. No, we, we always talk about the international mm. ones because they impress us because... They're international. They're international, but, you know, hello all our listeners at home. You know, Victoria yeah. and New South Wales and all around this fine country of ours. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. And enjoying the history of our great game. Indeed. Too much time is spent on the present. Yes. Let's go back to the past, I say. Yeah. And we're in the past that everyone knows now. Yeah. Yeah. Post, all the, the names. Post, the post-World War II. You people know these are people. about it. Um, so let's get into a little bit of history of mm-hmm. 1961, Charlie. Um, my favourite song from 61 was a song called Cryin' by Roy Orbison. Oh, three, what a uh, song. Three weeks at number one in Australia. Late in the year. Um, stretching a two-syllable word into about 12 syllables. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's a ripper. I love that one. Anything else happened in 61? Uh, Quite a bit happened in 61. Good, good. Uh, but, you know, as we said, we're sort of trimming down the history section now. Yes. It's too, otherwise, we be too busy. So, we had JFK sworn in as the 35th President of the United States on the 20th of January. Yes, because he won the election last year. He did, yeah, yes. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, on the 9th of February, we had the Beatles performing at the Cabin Club for the first time under that name, following their ret- return from Hamburg, where they played about six times a day for three <laughs> yeah. months. Yeah. Um... On the 25th of Feb, we had the last public trams in Sydney. They had trams? Yeah. Wow. So, 
They, yeah, so it's, that brought an end to the Southern Hemisphere's largest tramway network at the time. Okay. So Melbourne obviously be much bigger now. Are we the biggest one now? I would assume so. Yeah. Let's, let's claim it. Okay. Absolutely. On, uh, on March the 11th, this is huge I can see news. You, I can see your smile. This what do you got? This is huge news. <laughs> okay. Barbie got a boyfriend. Ah. Ken was released for the first time in the United States. You know, Massive. And you know the weird thing is, like, the, the lady who invented Ken and Barbie, her kids' names are Ken and Barbie. That's who she named them after. Oh, that is so... Which is a bit yeah, weird. That is weird. Like, when you consider, like, they're married. They're not brother and sister. Well, they are in real life. Yeah, they should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's odd. Yeah. Very. Uh, on the 6th of May, uh, Tottenham Hotspur became the first team in the 20th century to win the English League and Cup double. Oh, wow. And, yeah, so that... And as of last year, it's the... Well, as of this year, it's the last time Tottenham have won the, the league as well. So... Gotcha. Okay. They're in a longer drought than the Ds. <laughs> no wonder I go for them as well. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, on the 31st of May, we had uh, Benfica uh, beating Barcelona 3-2 to two in Bern to Champions, win the Champions Euro. League. Oh, Euro. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, on the 10th of September, a uh, bit more... Um, Sports news, and this one's slightly sadder, or a lot sadder. During the Monza Grand Prix, the Formula One Grand Prix, uh, Wolfgang von Trips driving a Ferrari. Great name, by the way. Yeah, isn't it? Fantastic. Well, so, and you may have seen that there's a a great documentary about Grand Prix in the 60s, and it's... the Hemsworth one, Rush? No, no. No, that's no, a movie. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a doc, it's a fantastic doco, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's brilliant. And it starts with this. And he, so he was driving at Monza, and he crashed into the stand, uh, and he killed 14 people and himself. And it was kind of the, it was the beginning of a very, I mean, Grand Prix was always quite a, I mean, it still is an mm. extremely dangerous sport, but this was the beginning of a time that was extremely da- like extremely dangerous. Okay. Or, yeah, and like the 50s were dangerous, but the 60s especially just seemed to, yeah. So Maybe there was more coverage in the 60s on yeah, TV, so more, there's more. Yeah. Um, so there, nah, not, not fun news, but no. very interesting. On the 31st of October, we had the Parks Radio Telescope officially opened by the Governor General, yeah, General just in which time. will get a lot yeah. of use in a couple of years. Absolutely. And then uh, at the beginning of November, we had Lord Fury winning the Melbourne Cup. Another good name. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? Um, you want to hear about a couple of Australians who were born? Yeah, tell us. Just got four names for you. Okay, yep. Dean Jones. Yep. The cricketer who died last year. Coach oh, yeah. commentator who died last who year. Who is related to Soapy Valance as well, who played for Carlton. Like, yes. There's a weird link there. Link there. Oh, good. Oh, that was the 12th of March. On the 12th of April, Magda Zabanski. The fantastic comedian. Yeah. Or Sharon Streslecki, yeah. as she's more commonly known. Shazza. Uh The 18th of November, Anthony Warlow. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's an eclectic bunch right Yeah. Here. And the 23rd of November, Merv Hughes. Yeah, I would expect an eclectic bunch. I mean, Merv Hughes and Dean Jones are very similar. Yes, but then the, the meat in that sandwich <laughs> is just, yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. All right, well, let's get stuck into the 61 season. Shall we just? Because it's football season. Let's start with some league news as well. Um, we discussed this at the end of last season, but um, the VFL had abandoned its decision to show live telecasts of the last quarters. Yes, because it had totally eaten into their gate takings, hadn't yep. it? Yep, absolutely. Although, I mean, it had to a bit, to an extent, but 
they were really, really very wary of TV and not trying to, not embracing it. And yeah, and I don't think it. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly on the stats, but they were scared. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at last season, it was incredibly wet. Yeah, and that's probably more of a reason why people stayed home. But maybe the team, like the, TVs, the double, you'd be like, oh, it's wet. It, I mean, you still I've get got that. no other. Like, I can stay home. You still get that today on days where yeah, you're like, I was, I might go to the footy, and then it's terrible, and you're like, I'll yeah. just watch it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, so even like the three big TV stations at the time, ABC Two, uh, Channel Seven, Channel Nine, all offered like we want to do it, and they offered a big deal. But the VFL rejected these offers, um, and a separate a separate ama- arrangement was made to allow a replay of the entire grand final match on delay. But that Great. was the only one. Great. Yeah. But it, that's weird that they wouldn't allow more delayed coverage rather than live coverage. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, it's something we know they'll they, they embrace eventually, but yeah, yeah, very wary and, and slow going at the start. Uh, in May, the VFL committee also rejected two proposed laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was to reduce the players on the field to sixteen players. Oh, okay. Which all clubs rejected. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and the other was to allow unrestricted use of reserves during a match. And that was uh, shut down seven to five. Unrestricted use of reserves. Does that mean having as many people th- on the bench think, as you want or unlimited changes? I think changes, which is what we have now. Which is what, yeah. well, well, it was lim- yeah. yeah, yeah, but we did have for a long time. Yeah. Or a few years yep. at least. Um, so that's interesting. And that was denied by the clubs as well? Yeah, or? so the vote was seven to five. So it was shut down. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There was some hope. I mean, seven to five, at least people voted for it. And the other very exciting news we have, Charlie. Yes. Dacos Dispatch. On the tw- I don't know why you didn't mention this before. On the twentieth of September, right. Peter Stanley Dacos was born. Peter Stanley. Peter Named Stanley. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Uh, we are now living in a football world. A Dacos world. A Dacos world. I mean, we, we, AD after Dacos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had his. We've had Stanley Dacos. His father. Yeah, we've had mum. We've uh, had Philomena. Philomena. Yep. yep. But now his holy one, Peter Dacos, is here. He's <laughs> <It's> arrived. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, great. And some umpire debutantes for the year were... Well, we lost a great man last year, didn't we? We did, yeah. Bite cell. Yeah. Uh, but we've got the debutantes of Valentine Hocking and Jeff Crouch. Okay. Yeah. I'm hoping for good, good things for these guys. Uh, now, we've also got a state carnival to talk about very quickly. The state carnival took place in Brisbane. Weirdly enough, though, no Queensland teams played in it. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Four teams. It was uh, Victoria, WA, South Australia and Tasmania. Okay. One of the most competitive carnivals that have been played... Um, with Victoria actually going down to WA in the final game and Western Australia winning their very first carnival victory since 1921, despite Victoria comfortably accounting for South Australia. Uh, So, yeah, Victoria won, which was fantastic. And in 2014, that entire team... WA won. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, So Western Australia won. They they beat Victoria 104 to 95 at the Gabba. Shoot out. That whole team was inducted into the West Australian Hall of Fame for football. Really? In, in 2014, yeah. At the same time? Yep, the whole team. Um, and you'd be happy to know Brian Dixon of Melbourne won the Tassie medal for the best player yes. of, that, of that series. So, yeah, Tasmania did pretty poorly in that. Uh, so it was, yeah, Western Australia, Victoria, South Australia, Tasmania was the order. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, And I've got an All-Australian team here as well if you'd want to hear it. Oh, please. Uh, from the back line, we've got Neil Curley, uh, John Abley, John Schultz. Halfback is Teddy Whitten, Ray Gavlich, and Bob Sherman. Centre lines, Bob Dixon, John Halbert, John Todd. Half forward, Don Roach, Don Lindner, Daryl Baldock. 
Forward line, Polly Farmer, Jeff Kingston and Bob Withers. Followers are Jack Clark, Ron Barassi, Alan Aylett. Interchange is Ray Sorrell and Bill Wedding. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, a good, a good mix there of all different states. Yeah. And, you know, hearing names like Polly Farmer and Daryl Baldock that we'll come across soon. We certainly will, yeah. So, Charlie, it's time to uh, travel up that ladder. Yes, let's start way from, down From the bottom. bottom to top. Uh, How should we do it today? Well, without anyone here, do, should I, do you want me to just run through it? Yay. Yeah. Okay. So, 12th on the ladder at the very bottom is uh, North Melbourne with four wins... One draw, 13 losses, and a percentage of 79.1. Taking out their 10th wins. Yes, their 10th wins. So, uh, this year, coached by Wally Carter and captained by Alan Aylett in his first year as captain. Yes. Um, so, pre-season, the team's recruitment zone was extended. So, now they had, uh, they had from Pasco Vale to Tullamarine. Okay. So they extend. They, most teams were extended. Although I couldn't find much information about other teams. Um, a debutante was Adrian Beer as well. Lots of good alcohol themed names floating around. <laughs> In round one, they started with a strong nine point win over Essendon at Arden Street. They had trailed by five points at three quarter time, but held the Bombers goalless in the final term and won by nine points. John Dugdale kicked four goals for the winners. But from there, it would be a long, long wait for wing number two. Uh, against the Cats in round eight, they'd been superior all day and led by 26 points with eight minutes to play, but then they relaxed and let the Cats slam on four goals too oh. to level scores. The game ended in a draw. You can't do it. They took all the way until round 13 to finally get their second win of the season, which was against the Doggies. A bit like North Melbourne at the moment. I can't see where their first win in 2021 is going to come from. Well, it's a worry, isn't it? Um, and they play the Bombers in a few weeks as well, I mean. I mean, I should look at it happily, but, you know, you'd hate to be that one team that gets oh, beaten by them. jeez, I was sweating bullets the other, the other <laughs> week. It did not look good for us. Um, so against the Doggies, they dominated North dominated the greasy conditions, um, but their kicking was pretty bad. They kicked 10 goals, 15. Dugdale adding four goals, four of that. North's defence showed up in the final minutes to hold sway. They were lucky when a ruse player got a hand to a ball as a goal was being kicked. So they touched the ball. Ah, it went through. It, it was a point, not a goal. Yep. yep. They escaped with a two-point win. Oh, gosh, that's lucky. And then they actually made it back-to-back wins with a heart-stopping win over Collingwood in a fiery game at Arden Street. Um, the Blues, the Roos won by two points, again, with uh, Barry Harrison of Collingwood. Hooker Harrison reported for striking Carr of North Melbourne and vice versa. Both were suspended for two matches, but the two shared a beer in the rooms afterwards. Nice. Mm. And their only other win for the season was a round 17 upset of Fitzroy. At Arden Street again. Yeah, at one stage in this match, they led by as much as 44 points, but they let Fitzroy back into the game and were lucky to actually win by two goals. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, they were, they were uh, flat-track bullies this year. They only won at home. All four of their wins and a draw was at home. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, not, not great. So... Uh, best and fairest this year for for the Roos was Laurie Dwyer. Yeah, because well, he came second in the Brownlow as well. Yeah, and John Dugdale, lead goal kicker yeah. with 47. Sounds right. Them. Yeah. So which takes us up, well, up or down, depending on how you look at it, from North Melbourne to South Melbourne. <laughs> uh, with uh, five wins and 13 losses. So just half a game between... And a lower percentage of 72, so that draw, North, uh, yeah, really uh, killed themselves there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this year, coached by Bill Fowl and captained by Thomas Skilton. Yes, his first year in charge. And his first year in charge, taking over from Ron Clark. 
Um, so, some debutantes were Clem Goonan, Ron, Ron Rolf, and Otto Sonnleitner. <laughs> Very German. Um, so, in 1961, South Melbourne decided they needed a theme song. Oh, yeah. So they applied to Notre Dame to use their fight song, the University of Notre Dame. Notre Dame, the yeah. Fighting Irish. Yes. Okay. Uh, because they believed their song needed to be more aggressive. The Notre Dame Victory March, written in 1905 by Notre Dame alumni, the Shea Brothers, was identified as a suitable replacement. I don't know that song. Do I? Cheer, cheer the red and Oh, is the it the white. same one? Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. They're yeah. the current song, yeah, so it's the one song. that we know now. Okay. Um, after a protracted process involving the university and various musical houses, the club was granted copyright in March 1961, and it, and it became houses. yeah, and it became their loved club song, uh, which was recently updated as well. Did you yeah. hear that? Yeah, um, to make it more inclusive. What did um, they change? It, it, they changed while her loyal sons are marching on to, onward to victory. Yes. To while our loyal sons are marching. Uh, so while our loyal swans are marching on with that's victory. right yes so taking out her and boys yeah. sons so boy, her <laughs> while, while her, her loyal sons, and sons yeah, yeah while our, our loyal swans, swans. Yeah. yeah like that a lot um, South surprised the football world with an opening round win over Hawthorne South's pace had stunned the Hawks and Skilton and Brian McGowan were the stars and they should have beaten the Cats the next week but the Cats stole that game in the dying seconds uh, Brian McGowan did his best with kicking six, though. They had a great win over Richmond uh, with their Rovers dominant again, beating the Tigers by 44 points. Their five goals to nothing first quarter, setting up the win. Round four, they went down to Carlton at Princess Park, and Ken Boyd had a bit of a fiery game, was reported and suspended for striking Carlton's John Nichols, and then moments later, John Heathcote. Uh, he'd missed three matches through suspension, and uh, he'll be back shortly. Round five, they had a thriller against the Dogs. An impressive crowd of more than 26,000 people saw a thrilling contest with the Swans leading over most of the first half to go into the main break with a two-point lead. Led by the brilliant Bob Skilton, South extended its lead to 10 points by the final break, only to face a ferocious Dogs challenge in the last quarter. However, the Swans held on to win by two points. Good on them. The Swans then fell away and went through a bit of a, a losing streak of five go- five games. It wasn't until Ken Boyd came back in for round eleven they got their next win, which is a three point uh, sorry three goal defeat of North Melbourne at Lakeside Oval. Boyd kicking three. They beat Richmond again this time by thirty seven points, and Bobby Skilton was cheered off the ground for his great play. But then the game you want to hear about is the fiery encounter they had with Carlton. Yes. Uh, Carlton won by 59 points in you know an uneventful game, but in the midweek edition of the Sporting Globe, Ken Boyd, who'd only been back for a few games, was interviewed and admitted to hitting John Nichols of Carlton and explained why. In the, so this is... So in the paper, he did an interview and he explained like he'd been involved in a fight with, with Nichols. John, with well, John he actually, Nichols, yeah. yeah. Well, read, read, read yes. the quote for me. Okay. I'm not ashamed. I hit John Nichols last Saturday. I have a clear conscience on the whole matter. Early in the last quarter at a set of bounce, I was kicked in the stomach and groin. And he, he holds up his shirt, shirt to show. With the stud marks, yeah. I was in terrific pain, and when I recovered, I simply went back, turned Nichols around, and dropped him. It's the first time I've ever hit a player behind play, but I'm not ashamed. I draw the line at what happened to me. I've whacked a few players in my day, but I've always done it openly. Too many South players were stopped, and somebody had to look after them. When I was rolling on the ground in pain, some of the Carlton players were having a giggle at me and their supporters were cheering. When Nichols went down, the same people were squealing and their supporters were bellowing too. Yeah, so um, what happened following that was the VFL decided they'd act in that. Yeah, so there was no... 
there was no report there was no during report, the game. Yeah. No, but because of this confession he made, they're like, yeah. oh, we've got to launch an investigation. Um, and most people thought he would just get a slap on the wrist and a warning. No. No, they made a real example out of him, like they do from time to time, yeah. um, and gave him a 12-match suspension. Uh, and Boyd decided, bugger this, I'm not playing in the league anymore. And he, and he left. He never played VFL again. Really? That yeah, was the end? He went up and uh, coached the Wang, Wang Rovers. There you go. Yeah, so he, he quit. And uh, Bobby, Bobby Skilton was, was very angry about this as well. Because, about the whole situation. Well, because Boyd was the enforcer. Like, their Rover, South Rovers used to get targeted by other teams, and, and Boyd and was the so, one who protected them. And Bobby, Bobby, so Skilton needed him Absolutely, around. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so it's no surprise they lost their final four games of the season. Without someone to protect them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, not great for the Swannies. Not a great year. So, we had best and fairest... Uh, would it be any surprise? Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Skilton, Skilton yep. of course. In his third for the club. And our league goal kicker was Brian McGowan with 38. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. 1961. Saw Richmond 10th on the ladder with five wins as well, 13 losses, and a slightly better percentage of 78.9. So that draw, North could have finished 10th rather than wouldn't spoon. Unbelievable yeah. what two points will do. Yeah, because their percentage is better. You're right. Yeah. And uh, so in charge, we had Des Rowe as coach and Ron Branton as captain in his second year. Yeah. Um, new coach was Des Rowe as well, coming in to replace yeah. uh, whoever they kicked out last season. Alan McDonald. That's it. Um, debutants. We've got some great debutants, actually. Oh, rip it. Uh, Kevin Collander, Basil Maloney, Ron Serich, Dick Burrows. Ian Slockwich, Edo Benetti, I mean, and this this one, John Richmond, yeah. playing for Richmond. Classic. Um, and a very well-known player, Bill Barrett, which Kaz is going to tell us a little bit about now. Thank you, Billy Barrett, William Billy Barrett. Uh, played for Richmond in 61 to 1970, 120 games, um, then swapped to St Kilda famously, four goals with Carlton, and is described as an explosive centerman from Jordanville uh, who was brilliant driving kick. Uh, he played in the 1967 and 69 premierships, won the 1965 best and fairest and represented the state 11 times. He joined Richmond from Glen Iris um, under 16s. Uh, on his day, Barrett's stamina, fitness and enthusiasm made him a match winner. He roamed far and wide and covered plenty of ground and though he wasn't the greatest reader of the game he compensated with running and energy Ian Stewart said of him Bill was not a good mark but he could go for so long and so hard that he could often turn an error of judgement into a match winning kick uh, so Richmond uh, speaking of songs with South Melbourne Richmond also had one of their songs recorded but not the one we know ah. so this is called Onwards the Tigers by the Talent City Singers let's have a quick listen Tigers, we've got the team and there's nothing in blacks. We've got heart, we 
we've got skill, we've got everything at Richmond. We are the Tigers, the yellow and black. So I quite like that. Um, using the Waltzing Matilda theme as well. Very, uh, nice. I like it. I, I, it has all the elements there that Richmond now have in their song. Yeah. But, I mean, they made the right choice. Of, like, they'd, they'd, their song is one of the greats. Well, I think we've spoken about this. We'll do a song special. We'll yes. Do, when, when the year the Fable Singers record it, we'll do a, a theme song special and we'll rank them. I reckon we rank them individually. Well, okay. Yes. And then maybe as a whole yep. as well. We've got to talk about all the things that all of them do wrong as yeah. well. Because there's I, a lot of mistakes. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I don't, controversial, but I don't think Richmond's is the best. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, no, there's a lot I really like, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. But we'll just go the original 12 in that. We won't go the new ones. No, no. no. Um, all right. So, Richmond lost the opening game to Footscray, but bounced back to beat Collingwood in round two by 23 points in a very low-scoring affair. Uh, round four, they knocked off the more fancied Fitzroy by 13, coming from 21 points down at half time to kick six goals to one in the final quarter. Um, they then went to went down to St. they then went down to St Kilda by a point, and the media were all commenting on how Richmond were vastly improved, and you know they had a you know a solid. They lost to St Kilda, but they tried. It was an honourable loss. Yep. But then they responded by losing their next three. <laughs> uh, but then round eight, they defeated Carlton by 40 points at Princess Park, then North by a goal and Essendon by three goals. Um, but they were their final three wins of the season. They lost mm-hmm. their final eight games, including their embarrassing goalless game against yeah. St. Kilda in round 16. Unbelievable. Which was the last time this happened in the league. We might talk about this more when we get to St. Kilda because it's really... Their win. I think it's more it's their win rather than Richmond's loss. I mean, it's very embarrassing for Richmond. Well, yeah. So it's the first time it's happened since 1921. Yep. And the last time it's happened. Yeah, it almost happened in 91 to Carlton. Uh, but yeah, this is the last time it happened. Jeez, you, as a, like, as a historian for that club, you would have been sitting there in those sorts of games being like, come on, come on, Carlton, just don't get a goal. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just want to get rid of yeah. those, those runs. Yeah. But um, yeah, interesting year for Richmond. Yeah. It, it started to look a bit, bit better, but Des Rowe took over and established a fitness program, which is what... Surprise, uh, surprise. Yeah. Um, also of note was Graham Richmond taking over as coach of the under-19s eighteen, uh, under 19's team. And he was John's father, Graham Richmond. I, I, I don't know, Graham. but he, he will be a central figure in the years to come. Okay. Yeah. So we've got two people at the club with the last name Richmond yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So would we like to hear who uh, Best and Ferris was? We would. It was the captain, Ron Branton. And Ted Langridge with 29 goals was okay. their lead goal. Teddy, yeah, yeah, nice. Not great. 29 goals as your lead goal kicker is not ideal. No, but I feel like we've heard worse. Yeah, I mean, at, least he's, at least he's in the 20s. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Uh, so, keeping on climbing up that ladder, next up we've got Collingwood. What? At nine. Wow. I know. How the kid? mighty have fallen. Only five wins, one draw, and a percentage of 84 Four and yeah, like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. But four or five wins for all four of those teams. Yeah. Uh, so, as coach, we've still got Fonz Kine, captain, still Murray Wiedemann. Yeah. Uh, Fonz Kine is really. He's, he's going for the record, oh. isn't he? <laughs> he's got like 40 years yeah, to go. Yeah, I know. But he's really <laughs> just holding on. Yeah. Not yeah. 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 Um, all right. Some debutants were Trevor Steer, Ron Carruthers, Warren Roper, Barry Wrist, and Barry Perry. Barry Perry. Barry Perry. Um, the Pies started quite poorly. They lost their opening two games, which, you know, Pies usually 
Yeah, they get up. They get up early on. They lost in round two to Richmond uh, and saw them only score three goals for the whole game. Their first win was in round three where they beat North Melbourne by 26 points, but then three more losses followed. And already you would be thinking Season winning over. against North yeah. this March. Yeah. Um, but then round seven, they welcomed Essendon to Victoria Park and... Look, they started poorly. They didn't score a goal in the first quarter while the Bombers kicked three. But then in the second, they kicked eight goals and suddenly, you know, it's their on. form was back and they took the game by the scruff of the neck and ran out 61-point winners with Kevin Pay kicking six goals. So they had they, they had this ability to turn it on sporadically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then the next week, they got smashed by the Demons. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, around nine and ten, they beat the Saints by 10 points and the Swans by 40, but then fell to the Hawks and the Cats. So they do good things and they do That's bad it, things. Yeah. Their round 13 win over the Tigers by 15 points was their last win of the year. Um, and at this stage, their fitness levels were brought into question, especially after the Hawks made them look slow and old. And all these other clubs are doing these fitness, these fitness regimes program, now. That's what I was going to say. Where yeah. Colin, you can imagine Colin was like, nah, we don't need to do that. Yeah, we're we're not spending more money. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's equal, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, falling behind. Now watch, watch their uh, fitness program grow in the next few years. Um, yeah. In the final round, they drew with Essendon. Um, although Murray Wiedemann had marked the ball as the siren marked 80 metres from goal. But it wasn't. Oh, okay. 80 metres. 80 metres. Right, yeah. um, all the players started walking off. They're like, no, nah, he's not going to kick this. And sure enough, he missed. Yeah, by miles. Yeah. He took his shot, but he missed. Worth a crack. Yeah, yeah, worth a, sh- worth a crack. Absolutely. Um, so in November, Collingwood, so following the season, very poor season for Collingwood, especially by their standards, um, they announced they delisted 16 players from yes. the 61 list, including Ian Brewer and Hooker Harrison. Yeah. That's a huge. That's huge. Yeah. So shedding, ex- well, from, shedding that experience. From, I mean, I know they got thumps, but from making a grand final. Yeah, you're right. To finishing ninth. Yeah. Is a huge, huge drop. Yep. So yeah, you're not you're not holding on to to your uh, to players that you don't think are going to be there the next time around. Yeah. Well, I mean, we think about 2021 and the last few years. Adelaide got thumped by Richmond and they fell, and GWS got thumped by Richmond and they fell. Yeah, that's true. So it's yeah, kind of like it seems there's a there seems to be a bit of a correlation. If you get thumped in a grand final, you find it hard to get up the next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, because you just you, well, I guess that the thing the thing is, well, I mean, not that I know, but you'd be thinking, okay, well, if the, our game style is enough to get us there, but not get us across the line, we need to change things. Yeah. So maybe the tweaks are actually making them drop again before they can pick themselves up. And are they being more ruthless now? Like, let's shed these players rather than drawing it out over the next few yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Because all at once. I mean, is it better to have? Maybe they're shortening the amount of pain they're going to have. That's it. By not just sort of limping mm. along for a while, making making finals or yeah. or even or just fin- not, but finishing games. fifth to eighth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the point? All right. So there you go. Um, best and fairest. Uh, best and fairest. Murray Wiedemann Yep Leading goal kicker Kevin Pay With 31 Yep Nice So Yes Which moves us up the ladder One more spot To Carlton Yes Carlton Which we don't mind Seeing them down there as well Yeah first time they finished Above Collingwood For a few years as well Big jump though here With nine wins And nine losses Yeah So you can see that uh, ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th Are the bunnies of the league Yeah Basically Only two games out of the eight here. Yeah that's it so, yeah, nine wins, nine losses, and 96.5% this year. Coached by Ken Hands again, and uh, captained by Graham Donaldson, taking over from Bruce Condon. Uh, correct. Now, debutants were Martin Cross, Gordon Collis, Murray Kick, uh, 
my 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 tip for the uh, the McCracken Name Award, Turkey Tom Carroll. <laughs> yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, nicknamed so because his parents owned a turkey farm in New South Wales. <laughs> Um, Too good. Yes, so round one, the Blues won by 10 points over St Kilda, despite not kicking a major in the opening quarter. To cap off the victory, uh, the Blues welcomed three players destined to make their mark on the game. Ian Collins, who would greatly contribute to Carlton on and off the field. Turkey Tom, uh, who kicked six goals that day on Verdon Howe, their Brownlow medalist yeah, fullback. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was... Those two, I said three, but I meant two. <laughs> <laughs> Round four against South Melbourne, the Swans enforcer Ken Boyd was reported for striking John Nichols ah, yes. and uh, John Heathcote, as we said. The Blues won by 16 points and uh, Boyd was guilty and charged and suspended, as we said. Round five, Leo Brereton kicked six goals as Carlton knocked over the shinboners by 26 points at Arden Street. Turkey Tom chalked up another five majors. Huge. Gobble, gobble. Yeah, indeed. I mean, they've been relying on Leo Brereton quite a bit yes. as a goal kicker but he was a he was a rover yeah cool. yeah, so, which, yeah. so Turkey Tom was really the uh, the full forward they've been after for quite a few years <laughs> uh, and with a round six win over Collingwood the Blues sat clear on top of the ladder with uh, they were five and five and one but then they dropped their next five games in a row. Oh. Um, round 12, facing an uphill task against third place St Kilda, the Blues emerged from a tough week on the training track to face the Saints without their first two choices of Ruckman in Graham Donaldson and John Nichols, who were both out injured. On a bleak Saturday afternoon in the rain at Princess Park, Maurice Sankey and Max Myers stepped into the breach and led a committed Carlton combination to a much-needed win. This would also be Don Nichols' uh, last game, so it was John's brother. Yeah. Played his last game. Round 15, in a controversial clash at Princess Park against South Melbourne, uh, Carlton's elusive rover Martin Cross kicked eight goals, uh, but obviously this is overshadowed by the, by Ken Boy's action. Yeah. Um, in, you know, basically knocking out John Nichols and, and admitting to it. Did you say the, a, a, a rover kicked eight goals? Yeah, um, and a rover that wasn't Bob Skilton as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, I know. Huge. Martin Cross. Uh, round 16, this match at Princess Park between 8th place Carlton and Wooden Spoon favourite North Melbourne saw an exciting finish as the Blues recovered from 11 points down at the last change to edge out the Northerners by a bare two points. Uh, Turkey Tom kicking three. Uh, and round 17, a six-goal second quarter by a switched-on Blues outfit set up a d- deeply satisfying win over Carlton. Uh, sorry, over Collingwood at Victoria Park and ensured that Collingwood would finish below Carlton for another season. Deeply satisfying. Toki Tom steering through four goals. <laughs> Carl, uh, um, but Carlton lost I'm their last game. I'm loving that. I'm loving that a lot. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we best have best and fairest John James for the second year in a row. I mean, yep. Yeah. Brownlow medalist. Yeah. Yeah. And our lead goal kicker, none other than Turkey Tom. Turkey Tom. Well, he led the league. With 54. Yeah, he led the league. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 54, low total for a a lead, uh, a league leader. And joins John Coleman as one of the few uh, first season debutants to lead the league goal kicking. Yes. Massive. Yeah. Better name than John Coleman as well. I mean, he plays for Carlton. I hate to admit that, but (laughs) Turkey Tom. Turkey Tom's got it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. He's looking good. Uh, So that takes us a bit further up the ladder to seventh. Yeah. The same old Essendon. Same old Essendon. Same old Essendon. Just missing finals again. Well, we we made. Did we make finals last season? Uh, Yes, we did. uh, Yeah. Yeah, just. Yeah, we got just out by Yeah. 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 But you know, Collingwood just. Better luck next year. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Essendon with 
nine wins, one draw. Lots of draws this year. It is, um, indeed. Um, so, nine wins, one draw, and 109.5%. Coached by? Coached by... John Coleman. There was a changing of the guards. So, and captain by Jack Clark. Yeah, so there was this real this charge led by the committee, and Dan Eddy really talks about this in his uh, Dick Reynolds book, about there need to be some kind of change. Essendon had been labelled the gliders and kept being called the gliders and not really changing yeah, things. They, and Dick Reynolds didn't really have a, a change of game plan. If something went wrong... He couldn't change. He couldn't adapt and change things. He just kind of let things play out. Oh, and he wasn't, really? And just yeah. hoped for the best. Kind yeah. Of. And just be well, because I mean, when he was playing, he'd lead by example and get them up. But he can't can't do that from the bench. Yeah, and, and Essendon hadn't won a premiership since 1950. Yeah, so that's so yeah. there was it was probably time for a change. Um, and they said, you know, they they urged Coleman to apply. Um, and Coleman's like, well, I don't really want to do it without. Dick's, Dick's blessing yeah, but they, they got him to apply and who's Essendon's captain? Uh, Jack Clark Jack Clark applied as well just because um, and Dick Reynolds said he wasn't going to apply and then at the last minute he walked in to, to apply and, and apparently the vote came down to like one vote really? yeah one one vote and it went to Coleman and yeah Reynolds was uh, there's a bit of, of um, deliberation whether he was okay or not and yeah. there was a bit of bitterness but maybe not I'm not sure some some reports differ. So, you'd think, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a big call, putting your name up for the job after being in it for well, how long? Twelve years? Longer than that. Since thirty nine. He was captain, coach. Yeah, remember he him and Doug Bigelow. So twenty years. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So, if you surely after twenty years, you just sort of if if you're not still winning and they don't want you there surely you're just sort of passing it on they it's had they thing. had come runner up two of the last four years that's true. I mean so that's true you could argue that but you know you've got to get with the times and I guess change was needed and you know time will tell if that change is uh, yeah. works yeah absolutely um, some debutants were Ken Forge Ted Fordham and another player for you Kazman Barry Davis so, Barry Davis, one of the greatest halfback flankers the game has ever seen. Davis was destined for stardom. He was a star from the earliest days at Essendon um, after being recruited from Essendon High School. Surprisingly, in a view of the latter part of his career, Davis was not a great endurance athlete at school uh, and did better at 100 and 200 metres. When Jack Clark took the, over the coaching job, um, he developed Davis into a rock rover and added a whole new dimension to his game. He was seen to have leadership potential from an early age, uh, but in his own eyes, he was a shy individual. Davis was tough, uh, but fair, and a most difficult opponent to beat. He was a magnificent long drop kick on the run. Uh, Davis was on the receiving end of an elbow to St Kilda's Jim Reed, and the doctor described it as being similar to a road accident. He was left with a shattered cheekbone. Davis played in the 1962 and 65 Essendon Premiership sides, captained by uh, captain of the Bombers from 1971 to 72, and won the club's best and first in 68, 69, and 71. All right, the Bombers started off with a loss to North Melbourne, which saw them score six goals, 13, 49, their lowest ever score against the Roos. Uh, Ted Fordham made his debut in this game, though. Their first win was in round two against St Kilda by 16 points, where Barry Davis made his debut. Hugh Mitchell kicked four. Then round four, they smashed the Cats down in Geelong. 
Um, yeah, in a strange first quarter, they kicked seven goals for the first and then none in the second, but then added 15 in the second half. John Burt kicked five, and Jack Clark, Ron Evans, and George Maloney kicked four each. Uh, this was their largest win over the Cats until 1986. Wow. Uh, then they beat the Hawks by one point in round five. The Hawks kicked nine goals, 21. As the Hawks, sorry, as the Dons hit the front in the tenth final minutes, the Hawks had two chances to hit the front, but both Bill Joyner and John Fisher Kick missed gettable points. shots to hand the Bombers a one-point win. That is huge, with, I'm assuming, a hell of a lot more, less scoring shots. Yeah. 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 Wow. Uh, round six was another blowout. They beat the Swans by 79 points, with an, uh, an opening quarter of seven goals to none. John Burt with five goals. In round nine at Windy Hill, they, the scores were level at three-quarter time against the Blues, but the Dons held the Blues goalless and kicked five themselves to win by 35. Round 12, they held the Roos to three goals, 10 for the entire game and won by 35 points. Ironically, this was the lowest score North had ever kicked against the Bombers. Oh, so in the same through. season, those two clubs have, have done the same thing, which is so weird. Against each other, that is yeah. super weird. Uh, round 14, they beat the reigning Premiers, the Demons, by nine. They followed up with a strong win over the Cats by 38. Uh, they beat the Swans by 29, coming from behind in the final quarter, kicking seven goals to one to win by 29. And then in that final round, they held on for a draw with the Pies. But missing finals, as you said, by yeah, two games. By two games. Gosh, it was close. Yeah. Um, so we've got best and fairest. Your man, John Burt. <laughs> yep. And lead goal kicker, Hugh Mitchell with 33. Yeah. Uh, so next spot up on the ladder went to uh, Geelong, the Pivots. Pivots. Coming up there. So we have uh, Bob Davis and John Yates. Yep. There you go. Um, debutants Terry Tate, Tony Polinelli, and a big one, Doug Wade. Kaz, tell us, a bit about, tell us about Doug Wade, Kaz. Okay, thank you. Doug Wade uh, started with Geelong in 1961 to 72 with a whopping 208 games. And hear this. 834 goals. So that's only second to Gordon Coventry himself. As a youngster, he played a couple of practice matches for Melbourne in 1960, but returned home to Horsham. Geelong wooed him to Cadinia Park the following year, and it was the start of a glorious career. He was less than 13 stone uh, when he tried out with Melbourne, but he beefed up a bit. It was always a high flyer and glorious long punt kick. Wade was sometimes a moody customer, and he could launch himself for a big mark and hold his ground as well. So that's Doug Wade. Uh, so round one was the game against Collingwood at Cardinia Park, where Doug, made, Doug Wade made his debut. Hmm. Uh, and his first two goals were highlights. He took a towering mark on the boundary and kicked a wonderful goal. Uh, but his best goal was uh, supposedly from the wing, where he must have absolutely roosted it. He would finish with three, and the Cats won by 39. Massive. Next week in round two, Wade kicked six in a four-point win over South Melbourne in a game where they were faster and played a better team game than South did. And then they had three losses in a row, but round six was a sterling 44-point win over Richmond at Punt Road Oval, followed by a round seven thumping of a pretty decent Bulldogs team. The Cats keeping the Dogs to just four goals for the match. Uh, then round eight, North... they Round eight... Geelong played north at Arden Street. The Kangaroos had control for much of the day, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. With eight minutes left, uh, they led by they trailed by three goals, but the remaining time they slammed on three goals, two to force the draw. Uh, the goal that, that snatched the draw was kicked by Bob Norman, who had received the pass from a brilliant Tony Polinelli dash. 
Then they went on a five-game winning streak between round 10 and round 14. In round 11, Billy Goggin took another step in the right direction in his uh, development as a player, kicking seven against the Blues at Princess Park. The Cats dominating the Blues all day to win by 40 points. Round 12, before the get the Cats game against the Pies at Victoria Park, the captains tossed the coin in the players' race because there was way too much mud uh, on the ground. Really? Yeah. The mud-affected game produced scrappy play and long goalless periods for both teams, with all goals scored to the same end of the ground. The result was a 17-point win for the Cats. Every goal. Yep. That is incredible. That does not happen often. No, it happened a few years ago in Gold Coast. The Gold Coast North game happened. That everyone was kicked to the yep. one end. Yep. I mean, it happens sometimes down at Blundstone where yeah, it's like the wind. a lot go one way, yep. but not... Wow. Yeah, it generally happens in weather-affected games. Yeah. Uh, the result of that was a 17-point win for the Cats. After their five-point win over St Kilda, Geelong was starting to look like a real top-four prospect um, with pace, teamwork and marking ability all over the ground, which resulted in a devastating first half against the Saints. And then? In which they could only kick one goal. The Saints came out and swarmed the play in the third to kick six goals three and make it a contest, but ultimately the Cats held on to win by five points. Round 16, Doug Wade had his best outing for the year with seven in a loss to the Demons, which had a controversial ending, and we'll talk about that soon. Yeah, Their win... Their final win was a 31-point belting of Richmond down in Geelong, weighed with four. Uh, but the Cats are clawing their way back up that ladder, Charlie. They are. They're got, getting there. Got some of the right men there. After a little, Yeah, yeah, after a little bit of time. So, best and fairest, John Yates, yeah. the captain. Doug and Wade. Doug surely. Wade with 51. So he was very close to being another one. Just behind Turkey Tom. Just behind Turkey Tom. So close to being another one first year leading the... Yeah, so there you go. So that takes us uh, to fifth spot, the last non-finals maker. <laughs> yep. Had to really rub that one in. Uh, and that is Fitzroy, the Lions. The Lions, The yes. Lions. Uh, so with 10 wins, one, one draw as well, seven losses, and a percentage of 116.8%. We had coached by the great Smith, another great Smith, Glenn <laughs> Smith. Yep. And captained by Alan Gale, in his fourth year. Butch Gale, yeah. yeah um, Kevin Kevin Murray, elevated to vice captain as well. Ah. Vice Bulldog. Vice Bulldog, yeah. Vice Bulldog line. <laughs> um, look, there was real optimism at the Lions. They, you know, scraped into second last season. They yeah. should have, were five points away from a grand final. Um, but, look, things didn't start very well. They lost their first four games this season, so often a very bad foot. Um, they finally broke through for a win in round five at Victoria Park against Collingwood, smashing them by 61 points. Owen Abraham's kicking four, uh, which was their biggest ever win over the Magpies at their home deck at this stage. Nice. This kicked off a five-win five sequence. They beat North by three goals, South by 67, and Essen them by 20. They scraped home to beat the Dogs by four points at the Witten Oval. The Doggies had smothered the Lions' handball game all match until the final quarter when their Rovers broke free, with Kevin Murray and Graham Campbell proving to be the springboards. Campbell kicking the goal to give them the lead and ultimately the win. Remembering as well, Fitzroy still used Neil Flick Pass. Yeah, of course. Although mid-season, um, Norm Smith sort of complained to the league and the league had started clamping down on it. Norm had yeah. got stuck in. Len loved it, Norm hated it. Yeah. Uh, round 11 they played another thriller against St Kilda uh, where their courage and refusal to give in when the game looked lost enabled them to snatch a, a single point victory Kevin Wright kicked four round 12 for the second time in three years the Maroons came out of a game with a well earned draw against the Demons it's a draw, both the teams 
in a desperately thought fought match, although they shouldn't have snatched the points and would have if it weren't for the Demons' rugged defence. Sorry. Should have they should have the snatched points. the points and would have if they weren't if it weren't for the demons' rugged defense and this will come back to bite them again like it did two years ago. Yeah, round thirteen against the Blues at Brunswick Street Alliance captain Alan Gale was the inspiration to his side in the last quarter and was largely responsible for their come from behind victory. In round sixteen, they kicked one goal eight in the first half against Collingwood, and although Kevin Murray was playing well, uh, the team wasn't. But they clawed back into the game, but still trailed by twenty six points at three quarter time. But the last quarter revival saw the Maroons kicked 50 points to the Pies 2 to win the game by 22 oh points. Oh, my. 50. Yes, there must have been eight goals too. Uh, number, this is uh, win number 84 on Peter Carter's list of Fitzroy's best wins. Hey, mm. love it. Uh, but they lost in round 17 to North Melbourne by 12, which meant their chance at finals came down to the last round match against South. And they had to hope that the Cats could upset the Dogs um, or that St Kilda would lose to North. The Lions upheld their end of the, the deal, smashing the Swans by 103 points, kicking 10 goals, 10 in the last quarter, stamping their authority all over the match. Owen Abrahams <laughs> kicked six and Russell Crowe five. Yeah, good. Rusty. Um, but it was all in vain as the Dogs won their game and the Saints also did. Kevin Murray was excellent in defence. But uh, you look at this, and if they'd won that match... If they'd won the, they'd, the one they should have won... They hadn't the, drawn with Melbourne yeah, again. then they would have been in. Yeah, so this is the second time in three seasons they've drawn with Melbourne and it's cost them a spot in the finals. Jeez, the brothers would be... They'd be at each other, surely, um, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. But you could also say um, it was the the way they started the season, losing the first four games. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's no good. So we've got our best and fairest... Bulldog. Bulldog Murray. Yeah. And uh, a lead goal kicker, who do you reckon? Right. No, Owen Abrahams oh, okay, with yeah. 32. Yep. So yeah, could have been could have been right. So yeah, I was wrong. You were wrong. <laughs> uh, so that takes us into the finals. But before we go to the finals, should we talk about the night series? If you want to talk about it now, yeah. Why not? Right. Okay. Because there are all these teams. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Good idea. So, night series of 61. Uh, we got to the seven games. Still only the only the finalists, uh, the non-finalists played. Yep. Um, and all games again. Oh, hang on, sorry. All games again played at uh, Lakeside yep. Oval. Um, so South getting handed their major advantage as usual. There was there was better attendance, wasn't there? Was there? Much better attendance. So they say, yeah. After fifty nine and sixty were quite low, like seventy six thousand total in fifty nine, ninety three thousand total in sixty. But this year they flocked back to night football. Uh, with 152,000 people visiting through across the seven games. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of great uh, goal kickers in this series. Both um, Tom Carroll Tom. and John Dugdale kicked 11 goals each to yep. be the lead scorers in the series. Uh, Doug Wade was next best with 10 goals. So he's missed out to Turkey Tom twice. twice. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, so here are the games if we want to hear them so we've got round one Uh, first game was Collingwood Fitzroy uh, where Collingwood managed to come out the winners 14-14-98 to Fitzroy's 11-13-79 and this will be the first time Collingwood are ever playing in this as well oh no apart from the year everyone was invited yeah that's right yeah yeah Yeah, good point then we had North Melbourne Essendon North Melbourne winning 
The wooden spoon is getting up 141296 to 111581. Bloody gliders. <laughs> South versus Geelong. Geelong. A cracking match. Geelong managed to win 12-8-80, going down to 13-7-85. So South, out. Yeah, controversial. Good to see, Yeah, I say. Changing the guard. And then Richmond Carlton, a huge one. Bad Carlton absolutely smashed them. 12-12-84 to Richmond's 5-8-38, which meant Collingwood North, Geelong and Carlton go through to the semis. The Collingwood North game was supposed to be on the... uh, 14th, but moved to the 15th due to torrential rain. <laughs> uh, and North came out winners. 14-10-94 to Collingwood's 10-8-68. So North couldn't get a goal in the first quarter, but then slammed on seven? Yeah, seven in the second. Unbelievable. Uh, to come out winners. And then we had Geelong and Carlton, and Geelong managed to get out ahead from the beginning and stay there, 14-12-96 to Carlton's 10-11-71. And so taking us to the grand final, we had North Melbourne versus Geelong. You'd imagine Geelong would be going into that feeling reasonably confident. Finishing six with North, um, finishing on on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, And they did manage to get the job done. But look at the score at three-quarter time. Yeah, so it was very close. Uh, 51, no, yeah, 51 to 35 at yep. three-quarter time. To Geelong. Oh, sorry. Yeah, to Geelong, but yeah. But then um, what happened is North Melbourne kicked the next four goals at the start of the last. At the start actually, of the last. And took control so of the game. They were, they were ahead, exactly. Yeah. Geelong very wasteful in front of goal. 1-9 in the first quarter. And North couldn't couldn't get a score, so they get off got let got let off easy yeah. there. Geelong trailed by eleven points with seven minutes to go, but they yeah. kicked three goals against the win to steal the match. Yeah, so there you go. So the final score, both kicking nine goals, but Geelong's nine twenty managed to beat North Melbourne's nine eight. Uh, so we have uh, the best players on the field that day for Geelong were Long, O'Donnell, Yates, Wooler, Pomeroy, Miller, and Goggin. And north, we had Dwyer, Waddington, Cheatley, Gordian, Teasdale, Snell, and Robinson. Uh, yeah, huge. Yeah, consolation. Consolation. So Geelong would be happy to take that out. Their yeah. first piece of silverware since 52. Yes, yeah. indeed. All right, back to those remaining teams Back then. to those remaining teams. And what, the, an interesting, what an interesting top four we have. Yeah. So, well, let's go through them one by one, well, shall we? Well, that's, yes. <laughs> Is that, that's how we usually That's how do we it. do it, yeah. So, finishing fourth, we have those Bulldogs, Footscray, with 11 wins, 7 losses, and a percentage of 109.7, yep. as we said. Uh, coach and captain by Mr. Football, Ted Witt. Uh, debutante was Jim Gutterson. 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 And new president was Harry Dolphin. Oh, Don't okay. know any relation to the South Melbourne Dolphins. To Bill, yeah. From the uh, early 19th century. No, no 1900s. Yeah. Century. Um, Witten reintroduced the flick pass to the team and they would begin Ooh. to use it with great success. Maybe that's what got, got Norm's nose out of joint that someone else is starting to use it. Yeah, well, Fitzroy, Norm, uh, Len was at Fitzroy and now uh, Witten's doing it to great success as well. They yeah. opened the season with a 28-point win over Richmond at Hunt Road Oval, Teddy Whitten kicking four. In round two, they curtailed Alan Aylett in their first home game and ran out 45-point winners with a nice spread of nine goal kickers. In round four, they got lucky against Collingwood, who led at half-time, 
but had to play with 17 fit men in the second half. Uh, Murray Wiedemann needed stitches to, to a cut head, um, and another player was concussed, and Bill Toomey pulled a thigh muscle and had to stay on, so he was put in the forward pocket. Ooh. The Dogs overran them in the second half as the Pies couldn't muster a goal in the third, and the Dogs won by nine. Um, I said Bill Toomey, but I believe he is retired. I think I meant the other Toomey. I meant, I meant Mick Toomey. Mick. Yeah, not Bill. Uh, the Swans and Bobby Skilton gave them their first loss in round five. In round eight, though, the Doggies surprised the Hawks at uh, Glenferry Oval, stealing a two-goal win. Six goals in the last quarter, seeing them home as the Hawks had taken control in the third quarter. They came from behind to beat the Bombers at Windy Hill. Uh, they kicked three goals in the last quarter to beat the Tigers in a quagmire. They beat the Blues easily, and then they beat the Pies again, this time at Victoria Park by 38, and then they smashed the Swans by 55. Um, in round 17, they took on the Demons, who sm- who beat them by 40 points, really put them in their place to knock them out of the four, which meant that in round 18, the Doggies met the Cats, with the winner qualifying for finals, uh, which is quite impressive because the previous season, both teams had finished in the bottom four. Yeah. So both of you know, going through these changes, um, 42,015 people packed into the Western Oval to watch this game. It was a sellout. And although held goalless in the opening term, the Dogs kicked six goals to three in the second quarter, and this is basically what won them the game and saw them back in the finals. Nice. Um, good stats. Footscray beat the top two sides and lost to the bottom two sides. Oh. This season they've lost to North and South. Um, and also there's, there's currently a, a great Twitter account which is going game by game through the Doggies' 1961 season. Really? Um, so follow at Footscray FC 1961 if you want to hear more about their season on the corresponding dates. Oh, I love that's that's great. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I've been talking. He helped me with some of this uh, information here. To uh, yeah, just, just he's, he's going he's going through it much more thoroughly. If you want to know more, talk to him. I'll, I'll follow him on Twitter. I like that a lot. That's great. Uh, so. As we were saying, sorry. Uh, best and fairest. Best and fairest. Was we have... Schultz. Ted Whitten. Oh, okay. Lead goal kicker. Ted, Ted Whitten. <laughs> 42. So, captain, coach, best and fairest, and lead goal kicker. The, tri- the quaddy. Unbelievable. Not yeah. often you get all four. I can't remember. I can't... I don't think anyone's... No, we've had, it, it. we've had it before. Maybe, maybe Hayden Button or... Captain, coach? Yeah. Maybe Dick Reynolds. Uh, maybe no it was a full Reynolds oh yeah we had the full Reynolds yeah. because we had Tom as leading goal kicker Tom yeah yeah brother yeah. Tom I yeah. don't think we ever had no we've had it we've had it before it's been all four though okay. not often but we've definitely had it trust I'm me think, I'm trying to think who it would have been yeah yeah there was someone in even the late 40s I trust or 50s. you don't worry yeah. I trust you I trust yeah. you maybe Jack Dyer could have been yeah anyway yeah. alright so moving up, another name we love to see making finals, <laughs> St Kilda. Yeah. So with 11 wins as well and seven losses, unbelievable how close the whole middle is. Yeah. From eighth to second. Well, yeah, eighth to third. We've got the... Uh, there's two wins in it. Incredible. Uh, so, sorry, St Kilda, 11 wins, seven losses, 117.1%. Coached by Alan Jeans. Captain by Neil Roberts. Yeah. So pre-season, the position of coach was advertised, even though Jim Francis kind of had it. Yeah. Um, the players wanted Jim Francis reappointed, but ultimately they said they'd support the club's decision. Five people applied. Jim Francis, Keith Rosewarm, Reg Garvin, Ken Walker, and a 27-year-old Alan Jeans. 
27. Yeah, so Jeans have been coaching the twos as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he'd only just recently retired. The field was narrowed to Jeans and Francis, and it came to a vote, and Jeans won that vote 7-6. to six. Massive. Yeah, so 27. And he, so he just retired. Yeah, so he's not playing. He retired. He must have retired at 25. Yeah. Um, a debutante was Ross Smith. Kaz, can you tell us about Ross Smith? Here we go. Ross Smith. Smith's career proved the value of persisting. Smith took several years to blossom as a rover, although his courage and determination were never in doubt. He didn't make the Saints senior list at first, but after a great game for the seconds, he won a promotion for the second round. It wasn't until the preliminary final in 1966 that his career kicked into high gear. He starred in the Saints win and was part of the flag side a week later. In 1967, he consistently turned in tireless roving displays and was a prolific kick winner. He earned his first Victorian Guernsey and then bolted away to win the Brownlow with 24 votes. So, St Kilda, uh, 131 goals, 234 games. So, Alan Jeans lost his opening two matches to Carlton and Essendon. His first win came in round three, which was a 33-point win over the Cats at home. And this kicked off a six-game winning streak for the Saints. I mean, strange, I know it's the Saints. Um, They knocked off the Demons at the MCG by three points, which is a continuation of the close matches these two teams seem to be having. Inaccurate kicking cost the Saints a chance to run away with the match in the second quarter, but the Saints responded with six goals in the third to take a stranglehold on the match. The Demons booted four of their own in the in uh, the term, but were still 13 points down at the last change. And the Ds, being the champion team they are, came home strongly, and they could have won the match if a hurried Hassa man shot on goal hadn't been touched in the goal square on the siren. But the Saints defended grimly and held on to a narrow win for the first time. First win at the MCG in a decade. That is huge. Yeah, well, I mean, they only play Melbourne at the MCG. Yeah, they, this they age. Been, yeah, yeah, they have yeah. been playing finals, so... It's yeah. not as not as huge as you think. As it would be, yeah. yeah. No, you're right, yeah. You're not playing there every second no. week. No. Then in round five at Punt Road Oval, an emerging St Kilda met the previous year's wooden spooners, Richmond. The Saints started as favourites, and after a slow start, they managed to scrape home by a point. In round six, the Saints took care of an up-and-coming team in Hawthorne by 19 points. Uh, winger Leo Garlic left the field with blood covering his face. Um, and the Hawks' Brendan Edwards was held responsible and police had to restrain spectators from attacking him after the match. Huge. Round eight, the win over South Melbourne was remarkable and, sorry, was remembered for Eric the Tank Guy, uh, his incident with Bobby Skilton. So South Bobby Skilton spun out of a pack and was shirt-fronted by the Tank and Skilton was knocked senseless. So this had South fans off the guy's blood. Yeah, of course. So Jeans took him off, um, and Guy became so upset after the game he was physically ill. Upset at what he'd done, or upset? Yeah, I think. Well, I guess so. Yeah. Um, although commentators had agreed the bump was legit. Yeah. They beat the Dogs in round ten, the Bombers in round thirteen, and the D's again in round fifteen. Huge. Now they played the Tigers in round sixteen. The match attracted a good attendance of over twenty thousand people, and St Kilda dominated the first quarter thanks to forwards Alan Morrow and Bill Young. Richmond failed to score as the Saints kicked five goals five. Hmm. Fred Swift and Paddy Ganane were playing well for the Tigers, but the scoreline went from bad to worse as they remained goalless at the main break, with the Saints up by 59 points. The trend continued in the second half as St Kilda extended its, po- its lead to 82 points at three-quarter time, Jeez. with the Tigers having just five behinds on the board. The damage could have been greater as the Saints were shockingly inaccurate in front of goal. 
In the final term, Richmond became the first team in 40 years to be held goalless for an entire match, where they could manage just another three behinds to go down by 83 points. Following the game, Alan Jean said, players could have gone a bit harder. 0-8 to 12-19. Yeah. My gosh. Imagine watching that as a Richmond supporter. Yeah. That's and hard. Bronx cheers, yeah. There's not even an opportunity to give Bronx cheers for that, like last the goal, yeah. first goal in the last quarter. Yeah, I've done that as a D supporter before, and I think like the third quarter against Geelong years ago, a few years ago, that we didn't could didn't kick a goal in the first half. Oh god, yeah, um, in not fun. Round 17, they went down to the Hawks by 29, um, and their rooms were like a walking wounded. They had 11 players carrying injuries after that game. Entering the last round, Sakila sat in fourth place on 40 points and a percentage of 117.6. Half a game behind third place, Geelong on 42. In fifth place was Footscray on 40. Uh, but the Saints had a lesser percentage. So if the Saints won, they stayed in the finals. So they had to win. Uh, complicating the match was our champion fullback, Verdon Howe, had been involved in a car crash on the day before the last home and away game. So oh he, he was going to miss that. He had severe bruising at the back of his thigh. And while the club doctors said he'd throw off the injury completely within a few days, he needed six pain-killing injections to take the field and his thigh was heavily bandaged. So he still played. After being in a car crash yeah. the day before. Yeah. That is ridiculous. I love uh, and to, to save aggravating the injury, uh, he was he had the back pocket Brian Walsh do the kickouts for him. St Kilda made hard work of the task against the fleet-footed wooden spooners and went into the final change 12 points down. Yeah, so they made it hard work for themselves. Immediately in the final term, Alan Morrow showed his intent with a perfect tap to Ian Rowland, who goaled, then followed with another effort that set up Rowland for a second goal. The lion-hearted Saints were in everything and then paved the way for Lance Oswald to kick a beautiful goal. North wasn't done yet, and after Dugdale kicked his sixth, St Kilda had to claw its way to a five-point win. The Saints finished third and sealed their first finals appearance after a 22-year drought. The last time they made finals was 1939. This currently stands as the fourth longest finals appearance drought in league history. Fourth longest. Yeah. Wow. Longest, longest is South Melbourne. Yeah. Which they're currently in in 1961. Southeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they don't make finals from 45 to 96. That's or 90, Yeah, 96. So that's the longest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. Huge. So yeah, a thrilling finish there and good to have the Saints back and they kind of did it, did it hard, the hard way. Haven't they? Haven't they? But they've pushed through and shown a bit of a... Shown a bit of guts. Yeah, absolutely. Take on a 27-year-old as your coach. coach. I can't imagine being 27 and coaching. No. Huge, but good. Great. Best and fairest, Lance Oswald. Yep. Lead goal kicker, Ian Rowland with, Rowland with 26. Okay. Roland? Roland. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. Yeah. 26. So, up to second on the ladder, we have those mighty D. Second? Second, I know. Oh, what's what going on? Yeah. And just have a think about who we haven't mentioned yet. Ever. Yeah. Uh, so, coached by Norm Smith, captained by Ron Barassi. Uh, the mighty D's are just doing what they do. Continuing on, uh, debutante was Brian Rowett. During the off-season, the Demons hierarchy had employed an athletic coach in Franz Strampfel to conduct off <laughs> <laughs> to conduct off-season training in an attempt to boost their players' physical strength, agility, and general fitness. He concentrated on their physical fitness while prof- uh, professional runner Frank Adams continued the sprint training they were doing. 
against Fitzroy in round one at Brunswick Street Oval. The D took an early lead courtesy of two Hassaman goals in the first 10 minutes. And Fitzroy's failure to kick their first goal, not to kick their first goal until the 27-minute mark of the first quarter. Melbourne were pegged back by halftime, but ultimately went on to win by 29. In this game, the uh, the scoreboard at the Brunswick Street end caught fire. <laughs> Ironically, two of Fitzroy's players were firefighters, but the blaze was extinguished before they were required. <laughs> oh, God. Then they re- Melbourne returned to the MCG in round two and unfurled their premiership flag again and suffered a surprise defeat at the hands of Hawthorne. Ah. Five goals, 14 was Melbourne's worst ever score against the Hawks at the MCG and their second lowest against them ever. Up to that point. <laughs> 5.14. Oh, you're probably still. Yeah. yeah. Three days later, um, they travelled to Windy Hill for a tough match against the Bombers, but ran away in the last quarter to a comfortable 25-point win. Ian Ridley with four. Um, I think they were playing... This game was must have been public holiday, Queen's birthday or King's birthday mm-hmm. or... Queen's birthday at this stage. Um, Barassi started a round five win over the Cats at Cardinia, but the 11-goal win didn't impress Norm Smith, who demanded the team train flat out over the split round that was coming up. Um, so in the lead-up to that break, he made, he had them doing full-on training and said, if you don't get this right, you'll be coming in on a Saturday off and, and training some more. Uh, but luckily, their training impressed Norm. Uh, and it showed as they uh, the next game against the Doggies, they kicked six goals to one in the first quarter and, and smashed the Dogs. That's, yeah, that's what you need. Bit of fine brimstone sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they had a tough win over the Blues. Then round eight in front of 78,465, they took on the Pies. Collingwood started the match with purpose, but after the first 10 minutes were totally outclassed, kicking only one behind for the quarter. The match might have been over at quarter time if not for Melbourne's inaccurate kicking. 12 scoring shots to one. Could have been fatal, but they managed just four goals, eight. They won the match by 69 points in the end. Nice. But, you know, if I was if I was Norm, I'd be angry with that. <laughs> after last year's granny. <laughs> yeah. Well. Round nine, the Swans blanketed Ron Barassi in the middle and their wingers outrun the Demons and forwards Bob Johnson, Clyde Laidlaw and Alan Rowath. Rowath? I always struggle with his yeah, name. Yeah, they all struggled and it took Norm Smith switching positions at three-quarter time to save his side. He moved Barassi onto the ball, Laidlaw into the centre, John Lord to centre-half forward. South were brave and their rucks dominant, but the result could have been determined earlier if the visitors hadn't been so inaccurate in the third quarter, adding three goals, eight to one goal. But they found their kicking form in the final by booting six goals one against the win to run out comfortable winners and further entrench themselves at the top of the ladder. Um, they beat the Tigers in round 11 by 66, and the Deeds were riding a seven-game winning streak. But then the Lions took them on in round 12 and forced the draw, coming back a second time in three seasons. We've talked about that. And the Ds then lost their next three games. They've gone four rounds without winning a game, Charlie. Yeah, not good. Round 16, they were facing the prospect of missing finals. Can they, you imagine? They took on a rejuvenated Cats team who took it right up to them. The margin was two points at three-quarter time. Melbourne got the first goal of the last term through Ridley, but con- that, but conceded the return via a 15-metre penalty paid against John Lord for objecting with the umpire's decision. Norm wouldn't be happy with that. No. The two sides ran each other to a standstill in the last quarter and both scored two goals three. In the last seconds, Laurie Mithen had a shot on goal which struck the arm of a policeman who had wandered onto the ground at the final siren. It bounced through for a point, but Geelong thought it didn't... Inf- uh, but Geelong argued it should have been counted. It should not have been counted. At all? Yep. Um, it didn't influence the result of the game in the end, um, but it meant Melbourne... If Melbourne could have lost 0.49% uh, if, if that had been overturned. Which this season didn't matter, but we know there has been a season where that would have mattered. Yeah, yeah. well, 
No, well, yeah. Point four nine. It would have been. Would have mean we missed out by point oh one. You've got that that stat stat etched on your brain, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, they beat the Dogs to sell up a top four, top two finish in round 17, meaning their round 18 match didn't matter. Um, but against Carlton in the final round, they trailed by 20 points at three-quarter time. They put their shoulder to the grindstone and kicked three goals in five minutes. Laurie Mithen taking control and put the Ds in front by two points. The Blues added one more behind with the final margin at one point. Wow. Heading to another uh, final series. Um, and just... Not feeling mm, as confident, though, obviously. Not losing those, you know, three games. Yeah. But then finishing with three. So, I mean, remember going into finals last year, you yeah. lost your last three. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, that you, know what, true. you know what you're doing. Um, and side note here, following the season, um, Melbourne took an end-of-season trip to New Zealand. Yeah. The club played two exhibition intra-club matches, one in Auckland and one in Wellington. They were the first club to travel overseas and do this. There we go. And we, do, I don't think we mentioned this la, uh, in our last episode, but we should just say uh, last year, um, Ivor Warren Smith passed away. Yeah. We we, did, I don't think we did, did we, mention that. No, he passed no. away at the start of the season as passed well. Passed away at the start of the season. So, dual Brownlow medalist, club champion, and chairman of selectors up for a long time. Which was a big loss because he was like the conduit between um, Norm Smith and, and the, board. the board. Yeah. Yes. And, and <laughs> we know yes. what happens. Yeah, we certainly Soon. do. So, best and fairest in 61 was Ron Barassi. And a lead goal kicker was one of the Bob Johnsons, Bob Johnson Jr., with 36. See, Tazzy Bob? Tazzy Bob. Tazzy, yeah. Bob Johnson Senior. No, no, and, no. So Bob Johnson is Bob Johnson Junior, yes. Yeah, and then Tazzy. Tazzy's a different Johnson. Different yeah. Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Too many Johnsons. There's so many. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so that takes us to the very top. Yes. The very top of the ladder. Where the brown and gold sit. What is going on? The poos and the wheeze. Hawthorne, right up the top. Hold on, Would you believe who? it? Yeah. Who? Hawthorne. The Hawks. Hawthorne. Yeah. They've only ever played in one final series. You're telling me they finished top they of the finished ladder? top of the ladder. This can't be right. So, 14 wins, 4 losses. Two games. 14 on wins. top of the ladder. What? 125%. Unbelievable. You, surely you're talking about the, the recent Hawthorne team. They've travelled back in yeah, time. They went back. They've changed history. Alright. Uh, Coached by John Kennedy, captained by Graham Arthur. Yes. So, debutantes include Bill Joyner, Reg Poole, and two coaching names you might recognise, Alan Joyce and David Parkin. Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Kaz, tell us about David Parkin. Here we go, David Parkin, ex-Melbourne High School, a local boy who had to battle for his place in the back pocket against the highly regarded Reg Poole. He cemented a place in 1963 and played in the losing grand final side, Parkin was an extremely dedicated footballer and embraced the Hawthorne work ethic and displayed leadership qualities from an early age. Parkin's reliability and courage were his trademarks. He was a worthy selection as captain and led the Hawks from 1969 to 73, including a flag win in 71. He represented Victoria five times and won the club best and first in 1965. A disciple of John Kennedy's coaching theories, Parkin was qualified in physical education. He did his apprenticeship with Subiaco in WA and was the logical heir to Kennedy's throne. (laughs) He took the reins in 1977 and guided the club to a flag the following year. A little bit about David Park in there. Oh, and it's a quote here. It's my strength, but it's my Achilles heel. Uh, And this was on his detailed preparation for games. 
All right, so following the flying finish the Hawks had to 1960, they were expected to make a big leap this year. There was great excitement around the club. Uh, John Kennedy was, you know, taking the club to bigger places. The season started by the club appointing uh, Ron Cook as the new CEO, taking over from Bill Newton. Mm-hmm. But the year started shakily with the 25-point loss to South Melbourne at Glenferry Oval. And then round two, they took on the reigning premiers, the Demons at the MCG, and the Hawks embarrassed the the, uh, the Ds after they'd unfurled their flag, inflicting Melbourne's heaviest defeat at the MCG in years. Oh. This was followed up with comfortable victories over Fitzroy and North Melbourne. In round seven, the Hawks beat a lowly Richmond team by 13 points before losing their next match to an improving Bulldogs outfit by two goals. Uh, after eight rounds, the Hawks were four and four and down in eighth position, but only one game out of the four. From there, they wouldn't lose another game for the rest of the home and away season. They went on a big streak. They had comfortable wins over middle order Geelong and Carlton, uh, and this had the Hawks back in third position. A seven-goal haul to John Peck and a 54-point thumping of Collingwood in round 11 put the club in second place. Um, Lou Richards describing the Hawks' teamwork as dazzling, and Hawks' supporters were sufficiently thrilled with the win. They donated enough for each player to receive an extra two pounds pay. Nice. I mean, they're Hawthorne. Of course, they can afford that. <laughs> uh, 16-point win over South Melbourne at Lakeside Oval in round 12 set up a top-of-the-table clash against the Demons at Glen Ferry the next week. The Hawks were primed despite losing full forward Peck to state duties, and they won a low-scoring game by three goals. The following week, the Hawks went to top of the ladder when they beat the Lions by seven points. Newspapers at the time noted that Hawthorne had been improved by coach John Kennedy's controversial running game, and each man had now picked up that new style of play. The result is some dynamic and fast-moving teamwork. Now the Hawks are bewildering, bewildering some other teams with their speed. Um, and not so much using the flick pass either. It's more about playing on. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Play just play on, play on. Yep. the ball moving. And he instructed his players, you know, you catch the ball. I, want you, I don't want you to kick it. I want you to look for the hand pass. And he had the halfback flankers running just off. Just running and, past. And using their superior fitness. Um, Hawthorne celebrated their top spot by thrashing bottom place North Melbourne by 53 points. They then beat the Bombers at Windy Hill by seven points before a huge Glenferry Oval crowd saw the Hawks take on third place St Kilda in round 17. Yes. Scores level at three-quarter time. The Hawks rattled on eight goals to three to win by 29 points. A win over Richmond at Punt Road Oval by 25 in the last round meant that the Hawks had won their last 10 matches, were, were what, one and a half games clear of the Demons on top of the ladder, the first time since 1954 that Melbourne had been dethroned. Since 54, they haven't finished on top of the ladder. Yeah. That is huge. Yep. Jesus. Uh, thus, that's uh, that's the home and away season. That's the home and away season. An interesting one, 61. Yeah. Yeah. So, best and fairest at Hawthorne, won by Ian Law, John Peck, yep. as we could have guessed, lead goal kicker with 49. Great. Um, now, I know you've been wondering this all season. Cole's goals winner. Who, oh, which yeah. team kicked the most goals? Um, I'm going to say... <laughs> uh, Don't look at that. It's got the answer. Oh, no. It does it? I, <laughs> I reckon it's between Hawthorne and Melbourne. Uh it's a very close year. Uh, both Essendon and Melbourne finished with 209 goals. Oh, okay. So we, wow. go, we go to the tie break, which is the points, yes. as, as Cole's goals rules. As goals. Uh, and Melbourne took it home. They kicked 256 behinds to Essendon's 208 behinds. Jeez, it was close. It was. So Essendon were right up there. They just they were just letting them in as well. Well, we had some really big wins. When you looked at the uh, the wins we had, yeah. they were by significant margins. Brown low, down low. 
Yes, the winner of the 1961 Brownlow Medal was John James of Carlton. He was only the second Carlton player to have won this medal. Uh, John James had been recruited from St. Pat's in Ballarat, a very strong football school, uh, and had made his debut with Carlton in 1953. Uh, he was best and fairest at Carlton in 55 and 60 before winning his Brownlow medal in 1961. Um, he was a school teacher and uh, was a big attraction at his Middle Park Central School uh, the day after he won the Brownlow Medal, receiving lots of letters from students uh, at his school and being celebrated with a toast of milk from his students at lunchtime. Uh, John James was uh, John James received 21 votes and was closely followed by Laurie Dwyer of North Melbourne who received 19 votes and third place was Ian Law of Hawthorne with 17. Um, interesting thing was during the season Carlton's halfback flank was where he usually played uh, but the captain was injured and he was shifted into the back pocket for the final three games where he excelled even more and was able to get even more votes and to take out the the, uh, the medal. Uh, when playing in the back line James was sometimes criticised for taking risks but his superb judgement meant he was actually a prototype of the more modern rebound style of half back or back pocket. So as I said this is only Carlton's second ever Brownlow medal win um, but uh, in, in an emerging Carlton team, he was one of the important players uh, in 1961. Also in 1961, we have John James tying for the Hayden Bunton medal, which is a medal handed out at the Sporting Globe for the, their best player. So John James and Kevin Cowboy Murray were tied on 18 points, winning from Brassy. Witten and Law, who are on 14. So, John James having a very successful season there with Carlton. All right, Charlie, I want you to look at the top four. Yep. Ignore Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Tell me how many premierships the other three teams have won combined. Up to this point? Yes. One. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? incredible. Yeah. So Footscray have one, St Kilda and Hawthorne nothing. Exactly. That is massive. As a a neutral fan, you'd be really excited for someone new. To win it, wouldn't you? Yeah, yep. Yeah, there's no... Neutral love for the D's yeah. at this stage, I imagine. Now, now, you'll like this. This is even more D's hate. On the eve of the finals, Fitzroy's delegate suggested a move to take away the advantage Melbourne had by playing at the MCG. Yeah. He said, let's shift the goalposts. <laughs> what do you mean? Where to? Like, just shift them slightly so it's a different angle. Um, <laughs> and the North delegate suggested maybe that Melbourne be made to use the opposition change rooms. That is ridiculous. Um, the ironic thing is neither of those teams were in the finals anyway. Yeah, yeah, I know. They just wanted to see Melbourne dethroned. Yeah. Um, neither of those motions passed. Common sense prevailed, but... What? Moving the goalpost means one one pocket is way deeper than the other. That is just outrageous. On the eve of the finals yeah. as well. Um, I love it. It did remind me of when um, Richmond and Carlton got sick of Collingwood winning all those flags, so they changed the final system. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So if we can't beat them on the field, we'll try to beat them with <laughs> yeah, rules. In the stats. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so we, well, we got the semis. So our first semi-final yep. between St Kilda and Footscray in front of 86,411 uh, people. Um, 
and it was she was tight. Yeah, look, the doggies played a fast and open game with Schultz and Ware dominating the ruck duels. Doggies had control of the match for much of the game and led by four goals at halftime. But the Saints came out hard in the third. Um, but lucky the doggy stalwarts in Teddy Witten and Ian Bryant stood tall and Charlie Evans was strong in defence. Mm. The dogs were held goalless in the last and the Saints added two, but the dogs clung to the boundary line at every opportunity and hung on to win by nine points. Yes. Um, following this game as well, Alan Jeans received a letter from Len Smith kind of congratulating him on the season he'd had. So in that game, the Doggies won by nine points, uh, yep. 8 12 60 to 9 15 Knocking 69. the Saints out of the finals. Yep. Yep. Um, basically, it's it's a congratulations letter from Len Smith to Alan Jeans. Um, and I just want to read a little bit from it, not going to read the whole thing, but uh, Len Smith says, May I suggest that when you settle down and start thinking about the loss, don't look for any excuses, Alan. Look for the reasons and then become determined to correct the weaknesses both in yourself and in your team so as you can go one better next year. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and there's a much longer letter than that, but it's quite nice. And there's a whole series of letters between the two throughout that kind of period. Yeah, yeah that period while oh, wow. Alan Jeans was trying to be up and coming. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, as you said, I mean, Footscray took a, a small lead from the at the very beginning and just managed to hold on to it the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, eight twelve sixty, not enough for Footscray's nine fifteen sixty nine. So the second semi. Figuring out who's going straight through to the granny and uh, who is uh, having to play in a prelim. Yeah. Uh, Hawthorne versus Melbourne, and uh, Melbourne came out firing. Well, look, it began badly for the Hawks with Melbourne having three goals, one on the scoreboard before the Hawks even scored. At one stage early on, Kennedy's men trailed by four goals, but in the second quarter, things tightened up, and a tough match went up another notch when Hawks ruckman John Winnicky decked Melbourne centreman Laurie Mithen. Mm big knock. Uh, Kennedy described the atmosphere as electric. During the resultant melee, Graham Arthur, who had a free kick just forward of centre, kind of snuck a good 25 yards closer to goal and then sat on the ball until the umpires had restored order. Uh, He went back and kicked the goal. Unbelievable. No one saw him. Uh, The Hawks seemed to lift from this point and went into half-time just a goal down, and by three-quarter time, they led by three points. The last quarter was fought to the wire, and never more than seven points separated the two sides. Kennedy felt that it was a sign that they had come of age when it was the Hawks that triumphed, um, whereas previously they might have wilted. So the Hawks held on to one by seven, held on seven to win by seven points. points. Twelve eight eighty to eleven seven seventy three. Now there's a sequel to this as well. This, oh, this okay. is very interesting. You'll enjoy this. The Winnicky Mithen clash had an unlikely sequel in the early hours of the following morning. When the telephone rang in the Winnicky house, John's father, Sir Henry Winnicky QC formerly Crown Prosecutor at the time, Victoria Solicitor General and later Chief Justice, the then Governor of the state answered the phone and was told, it's Norman Bradshaw here. Bradshaw was a known gunman and had been acquitted with Freddie Harrison some years earlier for involvement in a submachine gun ambush outside the MCG. Uh, He later died in a mysterious plane crash over Port Phillip Bay. Anyway, uh, he said, a lot of boys had money on the game today and Bradshaw told Sir Henry that bl- they're blaming your son and I'm telling you this, Henry, because you've done a few good turns for me over the years. They know his movements and they'll be looking out for him on Monday. Oh, my God. Sir Henry took this warning very seriously, as did John's mother and John himself. He stayed in his room all day Monday. <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. Isn't it? Good little tidbit there in the uh, the hard way, which is a, the story of the Hawthorne Football Club. Quite a good book there. Yeah, wow. Uh, but in good news, um, the Hawks, like nothing happened to Winnicky. No, he, no, yeah. They, he, yeah he went on to go. play. He was okay. Yeah. Um, so we've got the Hawks through the granny. We do. I mean, who'd have thunk it? Yeah, no, not I. 
Not I. So that's the prelim. The D's. No, that was a semi. This is the no, prelim. No, this is the prelim yes. now, yeah. The D's up against the dogs. Jeez, uh, the D's would be fighting here, you'd think. All right. So, uh, so in front of 86,000 people. Uh, so kicking with the wind in the first quarter, the dogs comfortably accounted for Melbourne, holding them goalless. In the first quarter. When they had their turn with the breeze, the D's managed just two goals of their own, and by the end of the third quarter, they were being thrashed. Most Footscray players were on their game, while Melbourne had numerous weak links. Uh, John Schultz was dominant in the ruck. The Ds were in trouble early and never got a serious look at victory. Norm Smith tried to stem the tie with a number of positional moves, but failed to pay dividends. Uh, forward Ray Dawson went out, went on the ball. Uh, Bob Johnson played centre-half forward. Laurie Mithin at centre-half back. Clyde Laidler in the middle and Barras to full forward. Yeah. That's how desperate they were getting. Uh, none of these changes helped. Nor did Brian Rowett to centre-half back and John Lord to centre-half forward later in the game. With the win in the last quarter, there was the merest chance that the Demons could storm home with a famous win from 42 points down. But when the Dogs kicked the first goal of the term just 30 seconds in, their fate was sealed. The Demons, aided by Laurie Mithin at full forward for the last term, made a small combat but were far too far behind um, and were already a beaten side by three-quarter time. They looked jaded and tired, while the Bulldogs appeared to be full of energy. Looks like they were down at quarter time. Um, final score? Final score, Melbourne's 8-10-58, not enough for Footscray's 13-7-85, meaning Melbourne m- misses their first grand final since 1954. Yeah. Um, so in this game as well, Marvin Hobbs took the mark of the century over Trevor, Trevor Johnson. Oh, wow. Trevor Johnson? Yeah. Uh, can you describe that? Because pictures uh, we, don't work on podcasts. Yes, they don't. What am I looking at? This, this one, one here. here. Oh, this one here. So yeah. we're looking at a like a full Superman. His boots are almost touching the back of his head, uh, coming over the top of uh, who? Who's it coming over the top of? Uh, Trevor Johnson. Over Trevor Johnson. Um, he's a f- his waistline is at uh, Trevor Johnson's head. Yep. So he's he's got to be eight feet above the ground. Doesn't yeah, he, at ridiculous. Least, and knocking him off his feet on the way through. It's, and- Courageous. And I love you. You've got Teddy Whitten like with the yeah, best just, seat in the yeah, house behind. Absolutely. Yeah. Just looking forward, seeing it all happen. Yeah. Um, also, this is the last preliminary final the doggies would win until 2016. Stop. I won't. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is huge. Yeah. Which gets us to the grandest of finals. It does get us to the grandest of finals. I still can't get over the fact that Melbourne isn't in it. Do you want to pretend they are? Yeah, let's. <laughs> it's Melbourne again. No, we can't do it. They did again. No. <laughs> so the grandest of finals, Hawthorne Footscray. So, I mean, who are you going for here? Like, it's I I, it's a I, battle I, of, you know, the neutrals well, will be getting around anyway. Yeah, so these are two teams who are like coming in 25, so two of the expansion clubs. Yeah, absolutely. So um, and there. you've got the successful one, Footscray, with one flag and yeah. Hawthorne with none. But we're talking, I mean, Footscray's flag was... Uh, 54. 54. So, so not so too long no, ago. But, but long enough ago. Yeah. I think if I was alive at this time, I probably would have been going for Hawthorne because I'd like to see a different club win it. Yeah, and especially after, I mean, only making the finals once. Yeah, right? knowing what I know now, I'd be like, no, keep them down. Absolutely not, give it a foot scrape. But yeah. I think then I probably would have been going for Hawthorne. Absolutely. Uh, and one of the good things is, uh, you can actually watch this whole game. I've watched this whole game on YouTube. Unbelievable. From pillar to post. Isn't it great? Who were the, who were the uh, commentators in that game? Uh, it is Reg, Reg Hickey, Mike Williamson and... Ron Clegg, did you nah, say? No, Alfred Deacon. Alfred Deacon. Yeah. Sorry. 
All right, so Charlie, to, to uh, tell the story of the grand final, the Hawthorne Museum and Peter Habey have hooked us up here. Yes. And we're actually able to chat to 17 of the different members of the Hawthorne Football How Club. good is that? Um, so it's going to be a little bit different to our usual interview. So let's, uh, let's boot this bad boy up. All right, now Stead Hay. John Kennedy took over coach a year before. How did you find him as a coach? Kennedy was a man that understood players. He understood people. He was a people person. Even though I thought at the time when he took over uh, that being a, a playing mate to take over the mantle as a coach with his mates, he was the perfect person that could do that transition. And his style of game was just different altogether and we profited from it. Well, Graham Arthur, welcome. Now, um, your, your fitness levels uh, have changed, didn't they? When John took over as coach, well, fitness went from just ordinary uh, Tuesday, Thursday to uh, another, another level. How were those training nights, Reg? So we used to train uh, very hard uh, on training nights and sometimes you'd throw in an extra training night during the week and we'd play on Saturday, of course, but then we'd go and train on Sunday. So everything came together after the closing of 1960. Your game plan was new. Brendan Edwards, you were ready? 61, we were ready. You know, I think we'd been in the oven for long enough. And I think all the ingredients, Mum had put all the ingredients in the oven, a bit like a Christmas cake. It came together really well. We all believed in ourselves. Uh, John Kennedy was a great motivator. You didn't start the 1961 season well, though, did you? We weren't really hitting our straps. It was uh, a, a bit of a worry. John was thumping the table and, and looking for the answers. Uh. But you turned it around at 3-3, and, well, the record for the rest of the home and away season speaks for itself, doesn't it? Twelve wins for the year, consecutive wins, and we were never going to be beaten. We weren't going to be beaten. So the team finished on top of the ladder, which was the first team to topple the, uh, the mighty demons from the top. Uh, which was great, but it also meant nothing until you actually beat them in a final, which leads us to the first real test you had, that second semi-final against Melbourne. Uh, that was a real test, wasn't it? That was the game that we had to win. Uh, and there's so much expectation on Hawthorne because of, you know, if they, if they win, it's their first time in a grand final. So you got all that historic uh, background to it all. So the pressure was on the team to do very well against Melbourne. Now, you learnt from the previous Melbourne games, though, during the home and away season, didn't you? They didn't really like playing Hawthorne because of the way we played. Uh, and it was always fantastic to beat them, either at the MCG or at the Glenbury Oval. Uh, but uh, the games against Melbourne probably taught us what we had to do to be a successful team. The game was close throughout and it was, it was close late. Yeah, I think at the last change there was... I think seven points separating us at the last quarter. And thankfully uh, to our defenders, they rushed the ball out when Melbourne had an opportunity. And uh, they rushed it down to our forward line. And then Morton Brown, you took a crucial mark. I'd taken a mark on the boundary line about five, five minutes before the end. And from an acute angle, I, <laughs> I didn't get it anywhere near the goals. <laughs> so. And I was very relieved when uh, we went for the mark and the ball came down from the other end and I took the mark in front of Tassie Johnson, I think, and I still remember I sort of fell to my knees with the ball, grabbing the ball here, and 
I think it was Bill Irving, the umpire, said, you're Mark. <laughs> so you beat the Demons by nine points and obviously exhausted them because they couldn't last in the prelim against the Doggies, who made it through to a grand final in a shock 27-point win, which meant the Hawks were playing the Dogs in the 1961 grand final. Now, pre-game, Graham, how did you go tossing the coin with EJ? We tossed the coin and selected the, the ball, the match ball on the ground. And, uh, of course, I was opposed in the toss with, with uh, EJ Witten. And uh, he had to be a bit wary of EJ with, the, with his toss because he was tending to uh, uh, call it before or as it hit the ground and, uh, walk, off. and walk off with his same way king that way. So, But Frankie Swab was the umpire, Peter's father, and uh, uh, so Frank was uh, on hand, of course. So uh, it was and, uh, such a fine day. It wasn't going to be lost in the mud or anything like that. So, so EJ was... It was 50-50. Well, pre-game, there was a bit, a bit of formality. Um, what do you remember about that? We lined up and the, uh, the Governor-General uh, was uh, there to shake everybody's hands. So uh, it was... Uh, I, the thing I can remember about that is that we always used to put rosin on our hands uh, and we had to shake his hand, so we weren't allowed to. So everybody loaded up their left hand, <laughs> shook hands, and then rubbed the two together. Uh, so the game had started. Graham Cooper, you've got an interesting story about the, uh, who you were playing on. I started off on EJ Witten, and before the game, Kennedy used to come around and say, you're on number three. I said, Witten? He said, you're on number three. Said, everybody in Australia knew who Witten was. So I went down there, and there was some uh, worries in the paper about him not playing this Saturday about Crook League, but he was all right. He'd come out and I said, how's your legs, Ted, you know? He shook my hand and I don't know whether you know Whitten's got the shake hand crunch he used to crunch. Oh, yes. I reckon I nearly broke my hand. And, and the first quarter wasn't the way you wanted it to start, was it? Had a difficult quarter, the first quarter, because Teddy Whitten uh, was in sparkling form. He took a couple of marks and kicked a couple of goals. Wasn't all doom and gloom, though. But I think we had more opportunities, more scoring opportunities, uh, we didn't kick particularly accurately, but we didn't give up. Now you guys had seemed to have all the play, but you couldn't really capitalise uh, on the scoreboard. And you, at one stage had uh, all the play, and you could only kick the behind, kick behinds. Well, we had most of the play up to half time. Brendan Edwards was getting the ball out of the centre and popping down to the forward line. <clears throat> but unfortunately we got the opportunities, but our forwards were missing easy goals. They were kicking behinds all the time. How did you feel at half-time trailing those doggies by eight points? It certainly wasn't going to plan at half-time when we were behind. We didn't think we'd be behind. But there were signs at half-time that you'd be all right. But at half-time we ran off the ground and the Footscray players just walked off. You could tell they'd had enough. I think at the half-time, you know, came up to half-time, we, we knew our fitness was at a level that um, should sustain us and uh, we hadn't had that game the previous week so we're probably a little bit ahead in one way. And what did John Kennedy say? To just train for this but you know, you've done the hard work and uh, they'll, they'll slow down or they'll get a bit tired and we've got to just keep going. But he didn't get worked up, he just spoke quietly and said the job was there, we could still do it and it was his, I think his control in speaking at that time. And some small moves there made by the coach? 
they put Pecky into the ruck and Morton Brown I think went to full forward um, and uh, by putting Pecky in the ruck it sort of subdued John Schultz who was a good player and assisted jumping Jack Winnicky who was having a good day but couldn't jump all day the way he was jumping. So suddenly within seconds at the start of the second half things finally clicked. It was a complete reversal after half time. We just dominated the play. I mean kick 6-6, six, six, I think we could have easily kicked eight or nine goals. Um, the way that our style of play probably lent itself to that style of kicking. We just totally dominated the second half. And what do you put that change down to? We were much stronger. They were certainly probably a bit quicker. But I mean Kanga had really raised the bar on the fitness side of things. So it was only a matter of time before we ran them down. Uh, but the doggies wouldn't lie down, would they? Teddy Whitten lined up Brendan Edwards intent on putting him out of the game. He uh, ran through Brendan Edwards and to his credit, Brendo got up, as uh, John Kennedy would say, and uh, don't lie on the ground. And uh, Brendo got up and none of the players really would have known that he was knocked around as much as he had. And look, Brendan Edwards seems to be the unanimous choice as best on ground today, right? All the things you remember about the 61 grand final is Brendan Edwards. His game that he played was just outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. You wouldn't, like to get 35 or 36 kicks, you know, averaging nine kicks a quarter. Not that he handballed, by the way. <laughs> You'd have a sore toe from the number of kicks he had. So after that, there was no chance the doggies could come back. Uh, the last quarter was merely a formality, and when the siren rang, the Hawks were 43 points ahead and premiers for the very first time in the league. What did that feel like? When the siren rang, it was just enormous satisfaction. We've done it. It was the first one. Fantastic feeling. Now you've got to tell us, what was it like in the rooms afterwards? I can remember going in the rooms uh, afterwards. It was extraordinarily hot, and because it was so hot, and there were so many people in the room, we got up onto the um, lockers. So a number of us were sitting up on top of the lockers and the crowd was down below and I remember there were friends of mine down there who weren't Hawthorne Barrackers, they got into the room somehow. Uh, I think it was just everybody felt that it was um, an enormous achievement for the club. What was the overall sensation among the group? Overall sensation there was that a debt had been paid which was quite remarkable and uh, the supporters just couldn't believe it. Most of them were crying and, and you know, God, we always thought we'd do it but we'd never believe we'd do it and now we've done it. Look at us. And ultimately, what do you put this win down to, Colin? The team had a, uh, a vast range of characters and abilities uh, but also backgrounds and and uh, uh, and uh, professions um, and that didn't matter a jot and that was the important thing uh, here's a fellow who went on to be a senior judge of a high court um, putting his arm around a fellow who was a plumber or a tradie or, or a truck driver or whatever none of that mattered we were just 20 blokes who were the same. 
All right, there we go, Charlie. That was a really interesting chat, wasn't it? So, um, look, a few people I'd like to say thank you to for that. So, Daniel Malia, Amber Crimmins, Clinton Brown, uh, and Peter Haby at the Hawks Museum who helped put us together. Um, and we'll reference that in our notes as well. Um, the players we spoke to there include Graham Arthur, Morton Brown, Graham Cooper, Jack Cunningham, Brendan Edwards, Phil Hayes, Dead Hay, Malcolm Hill, Les Kane, Ian Law, John MacArthur, Cam McPherson, Ron Nolder, Reg Poole, John Winnicky, Gary Young, and Colin Uren. Yeah, so uh, here's some stats. Goals in that game. Brown three. For Hawthorne, Brown three. Law two. Mort two. Arthur, Cunningham, Edwards, Hill, Nolder, and Peck one Shared it around. Uh, and for Footscray, Witten three. Two of those in the first quarter. Quarrel two. Hobbs and McCalla one. Best for the... Best for the winners were Barassi. Oh, no, no. <laughs> nah, um, <laughs> nah, best. Actually, you know what I've actually done? I have actually written Demons players here, and that's not true at all. <laughs> uh, best for Hawthorne was Brendan Edwards. Yeah. Uh, by far. John Peck wasn't far behind. Arthur and Law as well. Um, really interesting game to watch. The Doggies controlled most of the first half. Well, the first quarter, the Dogs controlled. The Hawks dominated the second quarter, but could only score one goal five. And obviously at halftime, they tightened things up and then they kicked 6-6 six, six in the third quarter to yep. really take control um, of that match. And it was very clear by halftime that the Dogs ha- um, weren't going to last. The Hawks all ran off the ground where the Doggies kind of slumped off. Oh, really? So even though they were leading at halftime, it was pretty clear. Their body language yep. was very very low. Teddy Whitten talks about uh, how he just had no energy and he looked around and he kind of knew they had Oh, no. Like, what a terrible and, feeling. And he talks in, in the book, he talks about, oh, you know, the, one of the selectors came and said, you know, we've got to line up uh, Brendan Edwards and we've got to take him out of the game. He's causing us all sorts. So Teddy Whitten just gives him the biggest hip and shoulder of his life. Brendan Edwards just bounces back up and keeps playing. And that's all you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, following this game, the players had dinner at a restaurant in Chadston. And then the the, uh, the suburb Chadston. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then they went back to Glenferry Oval where the crowds had waited for them. Bagpipes played the theme song. Passing trains tooted their horns in celebration. And all these bonfires kind of appeared around the ground for, to keep people warm and to cook some barbecues and stuff. And this became a bit of a tradition at Glenferry Oval um, until at least 1991 where... Oh, wow. They, they, I think they moved the bonfires. It doesn't sound like they still do it or they haven't done it no. since, but it definitely lasted a long time. Love that. Yeah. Um, some interesting things I noted as well while watching this game. Um, firstly, the out-of-bounds rule. Yep. When it, uh, there's no out-of-bounds on the full. No. And, and it, it just comes straight back in. Yep. The umpire's so quickly onto it and it just throws it back in. Um, the kicking out, the, the player doesn't have to start in the square. He just he, As long as he kick kicks it from the square. the square, that's fine. But he can start from outside the square. And watching the flick pass. like Really it, great. Really it, There's not a lot of it, but when it happens, like, what just happened there? Yeah. It's basically, yeah, it feels uh, like a throw. Yeah, and the the, uh, the really hard part about watching the game is there's no markings on the ground. There's a centre circle and that's, that's it. it. There's no square, no. there's no 50 metre line. So yeah, it's really it's, hard to get your bearings. Yeah, like you, the ball goes past the centre, you're like, okay, there's the centre. But then like you can't work, you're trying to work out the How angle, the are. deepness of the pockets to work out where the goals are. So we really take it for granted we have those markings because yeah, wow. it makes a difference. Yeah, I, didn't, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, massive. No. Um, so some other winners under 19s the Mighty Bombers defeated South Melbourne 59 to 25 in the reserves St Kilda won a flag yeah 56 to to Geelong 46 Jeansy's team from the previous year well yes yep and the McClellan Trophy went to the Hawks ah big doing alright alright here's some retirees let's uh, cue that that, uh, sad music
So retirees, Bruce Combin of Carlton, 188 games, 36 goals. Alan Gale of Fitzroy, 213 games, 19 goals. Kevin Wright, 140 games, 160 goals. So there's two big names from Fitzroy. Yeah. South Melbourne, we've got Jim Taylor, 153 games, 35 goals. Mick Toomey of Collingwood, 157 games, 94 goals, two flags. Barry Hooker-Harrison of Collingwood. Yeah. Pivotal role in the uh, 58 grand final, 57 games, 24 goals, one flag. Bob Johnson of Melbourne, 140 games, 267 goals. I assume five flags. I hadn't actually looked that up. Ian Ridley of Melbourne, 130 games, 228 goals, several flags also. (laughs) (laughs) Greg Sewell of Essendon, 171 games, 34 goals. Roy Simmons of Hawthorne going out on top with a flag, 192 games, 78 goals. And Billy Young of St Kilda, 94 games, 274 goals, kicking 56 goals in a row three times. Um, and also in other sad news, Dan Minogue passed away, one of my favourite oh, yeah. past players. So he had a pretty good innings. Uh, so him getting to 1961 after falling down a, a mine shaft early in his life is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's wrap it up, Charlie. Well, who are the Premiers? Premiers. I, I think this is pronounced the Hawks. Yeah, the mighty it sounds old Hawthorne weird Hawks, to say. doesn't it? Uh, our lead goal kicker was Turkey Tom Carroll of Carlton with 54. Yes. Um, our winner of the 90, 1961 Brownlow Medal. John James of Carlton. With 21 votes, yeah. yes. Wooden Spoon went to North. North winning their 10th tw- Wooden Spoon. Good. Congratulations to them. Joining Hawthorne and St Kilda as, uh, as double-digit spoon winners. Double-digit spooners. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we've already gone through the reserves. Uh, winning one by St Kilda and uh, the under-19s, as you said, was won by... Uh, St Kilda and Essendon. Essendon, yep. yes. Uh, highest score was Fitzroy with uh, 25, 29, 179. What was our lowest score? Richmond with 088. <laughs> uh, yep. Um, now I have contacted Kaz. Yes. And there's there's no surprise. Turkey Tom <laughs> takes it out. Uh, he it. also asks, is there any relation between Chopper Carroll from the Demons in the early 2000s? Nathan Carroll? Nathan Carroll, yeah. yeah. I said I don't know. <laughs> uh, here we go. Premiership tallies as of 1961. Collingwood, 13. Melbourne, 11. Essendon, 10. Carlton, 8. Fitzroy, 8. Geelong, 5. Richmond, 5. South Melbourne, 3. Footscray, 1. Hawthorne, 1. Mm. Only two teams without. And they're not going to be on the bottom. Hawthorne aren't going to be on that bottom of that list for long, are they? No, they are not. Unfortunately for everyone involved. Well, that brings us to the end of another fascinating season. We're, we're right into the 60s now. We are. We're watching games. We're, you know, yeah. we're seeing it all happen. It's yep. starting to be in colour, which Absolutely. is unbelievable. No, it's not. No, we're seeing photos in oh, colour. Oh, yes. I mean. Okay, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, which is, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. crazy times. So, thanks for joining us. Indeed. We're, we're well... Oh, well, no, we're about halfway now, aren't we? From the beginning to the present 120, yeah, okay, we're just over halfway. Yeah, you're right. I thought we were much closer, but now when you say that, yeah, we're not. No, so, yeah. We're here for another four years, folks, (laughs) at least. We're going to make it. We're going to be around. It's going to be okay. (laughs) So there you go, yeah. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Yes, as always. Tune in for Big Red's roundup. I think it's Big Red this time, not Little Red. Not Little Red, okay. And and we'll see you uh, in a couple of weeks. 62. Hopefully uh, Melbourne still haven't lost a game in in (laughs) 21. We'll see how we go. Uh, So until then, until 62, hooroo. Now we have a bit of a change of pace here. 
Um, I know I don't usually pop up at the end of the episode here, but uh, we've had a shift of personnel. Big Red has moved to some state reporting. He's been a bit busy, so we've got uh, Joey taking over with the Around the Grounds report. So tonight we'll hear Joey's first report of Around the Grounds talking about what's happening in state football. Uh, Take it away, Joey. Hello and welcome. Let's start the VFA. The 1961 80th season of the association had seen some radical changes over the off-season. With December 2nd, 1960, saw the VFA president, Alex Gillen, board members and club presidents agreeing to split the league into two separate divisions. Three quarters of the vote was required to pass the motion, which just scraped ahead for a 27 to 9 vote for the motion. Moriarty delegate Jack Dankert Sr. missed a meeting, but it was said if he was there, he would have voted against making the motion fail. For the 61 season, Division 1 was made up of the 10 teams of the top 10 teams of the 1960 letter, and the bottom 7 teams created Division 2. To make Division 2 into an even, uh, even season, the VFA approached Springvale and East Malvern to, the eight, to be the 8th team, but both sides declined. Glenn Waverley, which changed his name to Waverley, accepted the invite. The Division 2 Premiers would be promoted to the Division 1 with the 10th finishing team in Division 1, Division 1 relegated. There would also be a playoff game between the team finishing 9th in Division 9 and the Division 2 runner-up and the winner to be in Division 1 the following year. Now to the season at hand. Former Colton player Doug Beasy won the JJ Liston medal representing Box Hill as their captain coach with 39 votes. Port Melbourne's Bob Mennett won the leading goal kicking with 111 goals. And Yarraville had won their second VFA flag, uh, beating Williamstown by 63 points at St Kilda Kickrand. Northcote won their Division 2 Premiership against Dandenong at Turak Park by 15 points, consequently replacing 10th place Boxfield in Division 1. In the promotion relegation game, Morley controlled the game against Dandenong, winning by 33 points and keeping their spot in Division 1. Let's, let's jump across to the VAFA. The 1961 uh, season uh, was, 70, was the 70th season and was the year of the Collegiarians. The J.N. Woodrow medalist for, for the competition's BNF was awarded to Jeff Hibbins with 36.5 votes, winning his third for the Collegiarians. He also, uh, he's also regarded as one of their best players to ever done their jumper. Uh, R. Wardock, the Collegiarians forward, kicked 60 goals, uh, coinciding with their 12th flag beating Old Melbourne Old Melburnians by 44 points. Across the border in South Australia, the 61 Sandful season, uh, the McGarry the medal was Sturt Centerman John Holbert, finally winning his first McGarry medal, being runner-up three times. He, he had 20 votes. Ironically, Sturt had won the wooden spoon that year. Jeff Kingston 
of West Torrens won the leading Gogica with 79 goals. And the grand final was played between West Adelaide and Norwood. The game was known as the Turkish Bath Grand Final as it was played in 35 degree heat. The game being tied all, all game, West Adelaide ran away in the last quarter, winning their seventh flag by six goals. Across another ball to the Waffle, with the 1961 season being the Waffle's 77th, there was a tie for the Sandover medal between Perth Ruck Rover Neville Beard and East Frio's centerman Roy Sorrett. Sorrett was retrospectively awarded the medal in the 90s as Beard had originally won on countback. The Bernie Naylor medal for leading goal kicker was South Fremantle's John Gerridge with 74 goals. And South Districts jumped to East Perth in the grand final in the first quarter at Subiaco Oval, creating a three-goal buffer, finishing with a four-goal win to win their first flag. The Simpson medalist for the best of field was Swan District's Keith Slayer. Uh, now, across the straight, uh, 1961 season was the 82nd in Tassie, with North Hobart winning their 19th flag. And in the top end, in the NTFL, North, uh, Northcliffe picked up their second flag, beating St. Mary's by 14 points. Thank you and all the best. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening. Disclaimer here at the end of the show. Um, I just wanted to make reference to the brown and gold, uh, brown and gold documentary that we used for our interview, um, which was put together by the Hawthorne Museum. Uh, it was hosted by Peter Knights and put together by the people we mentioned at the end of that episode. But um, we don't own the rights to this. We've we've taken the audio, uh, but we wanted to make use of the audio from that. That that was edited by Daniel Malia, produced by Amber Crimmins, executive produced by Clinton Brown, uh, put together by the Hawthorne Museum and Hawks TV as a joint production, um, and Peter Haby being a friend of the show. Um, we thank you all for helping out as much as you can with that. Um, thank you.